0: You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. I am always your humble host, Mr. J. Ryan Chastain. Join with me as always, Mr. J. Rain. See, look, I didn't say I didn't say Range this time.
1: You got it. You got it. I got
0: it. Yeah. AKA Marty Rabin's bass player. This I love that. This never gets old. He blushes <laughs> a little when I say that too.
1: Just a touch.
0: So we got a we got a good friend of ours today on the show, uh CJ trailer's dog.
2: Um, <laughs> say hi, Sage. <laughs>
0: there you go. Hey, Sage. Um, and then we got Mr. Uh, Cody Trailer, aka CJ Trailer. Um, musician, cowboy poet, uh, airman, Four. ultimate cowboy showdown. Uh, first episode well, first, runner up.
2: runner <laughs> up. What am running up to? The- well, I mean,
0: in yeah. runner up, like first loser. Uh, I was like the, the 15th runner up. There were 15 of us. I was the okay. runner up. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Ultimate Cowboy Showdown. Uh, Gate Latcher. Gate okay,
2: Latcher. Sure. <laughs> I'll
0: drink that one. There you go. Uh, I would ask you how you do it now, but I think after I said that, uh, you you feel pretty pretty cut up.
2: Oh, j Ryan, I'm doing great. Jade, I hope you're doing good today as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't complain. It's nice weather for being in Western Washington, where I'm at right now. I'm just uh, over here in Tacoma, but looking forward to being back home in Eastern Washington next week, back where the sanity is.
0: So. The uh, so tell the folks a little bit about you, folks that don't know you. I mean, we, I know you, Jade knows you, and a lot of my followers know you um, because I, we probably have a lot of mutuals. But tell here, I,
2: tell us that's a podcast in itself. I don't know if you've met me before but I, I can
0: talk. We're gonna here's the thing. You know, we like rabbit holes, but we don't need this rabbit hole to look like a freshly uh, freshly pulled potato patch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gotta give it a little time.
0: Yeah, we don't want it to look like a field full of full of Swiss cheese.
2: See what, what the listeners don't know is this is actually our second attempt at this and uh... Yeah, out of
0: out of out of two hours the last time I was able to salvage twenty minutes, and I was like, "Yeah, that's gonna work." Because after every story, it was, "I think we need to edit that out." <laughs> yeah. For 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 your protection, somebody else's protection. Uh, at one point, the protection of probably our dogs from the government.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I I, I got a hold of Jay Ryan. I said, uh, "Hey, you want to do that again?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like. Well, we need to make a plan, and so we sat down for about three minutes and didn't make a plan at all. So. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm doing the, well. the
1: funniest thing about the last time to me was when was when people randomly started showing up. Oh, at my house! And you were like, "Oh shit! Yeah, oh shit! I planned a bonfire tonight, guys. I'm <laughs> sorry."
2: <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Well, hell, I didn't realize we'd been on the on the. A computer
0: for two hours, you know. It it is it it, it, it yeah. happens around here. It it happens. I did an episode one time. We were literally just talking about um Mustangs and Roundups and everything else. Uh, I I think Sarah Waddell. No, it wasn't Sarah Waddell. It's not what we're talking about. I had Flo Schmorg on her and who else was on? Jesse Reuter was on. And we were talking about thoroughbreds that was a four-hour episode. Part five. <laughs> we went down so many rabbit I mean, we initially started talking about thoroughbreds, and then it went to the racing industry, and then it went to sport horses, and then it just went to my love of bougie horses, and then it went to you know, uh, crappy things in the horse industry. I mean, we just...
2: Well, a lot of folks... Say, I, think, I think if they're mutual followers of ours, J. Ryan, if they know that me and you both have a thing...
0: And, uh, uh, oh, we're gonna talk about bougie horses I'm at sure the end we're of the show. Get
2: into everything.
0: So, where did it start for you? I think most people that do know you, they know you as you know, range rider, ultimate cowboy showdown. They they know that the service, but let, let's start out at the beginning. I know you're not a Western guy. I mean, you didn't start out out west. You're no. you're a southern boy like me.
2: Yeah, I grew up in Mississippi and. Uh, I started riding when I was probably oh, four or five, six years old. My great-granddad getting get me on horses. So I, I got my first horse from him when I was about 13. So, was, you know, I learned how to how to break horses and how to ride. i say ride very, very loosely. Just, I didn't refine my riding skills until I was in my mid-20s. But, uh, yeah, I learned all that down in Mississippi. We always had horses growing up, and I grew up on a farm uh, outside of uh, Booneville, Mississippi, a place called Hobo Station, and I'd bounced between Hobo Station and West Point, Mississippi, my entire life. So, I joined the Air Force when I was uh, nineteen, right after I got out of high school. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, out of high school, not even you know, eight months, and I was already basic training. And so, I, I just got to go all over the world and learn different, learn different aspects of horsemanship from different people and. Uh, and it's been a pretty fun ride. And then you know, got to do things along the way. You know, playing music and poetry, um, being on the Ultimate Cowboy Showdown, my range riding job. You know, after I got out of the Air Force, and so
0: so getting out of the Air Force, and for for nobody who's never served, um, it's the same story. If you ask a lot of veterans, I'll tell you something. For
2: anybody that's never served. Yeah, well, speak
0: English. I, listen, I speak fluent South Carolinian. Um, but for a lot of folks that get out, and, and a lot of them have the, the same story, and that is you, you have that, you're so excited, you're done with it. you got that DD-214 in hand, <laughs> and now what do you do? Reality sets yeah. in. It, it, w- it what do I sure. do?
2: My reality was, uh, so I got my DD-214 up. Well, I, tell, I told everybody when I was filming that show, when I was on the old Cowboy Showdown, we started filming uh, my last day in the Air Force, and so, because uh, I was on terminal leave when I went and did that. Looking back, I wish I had just waited till the next season, but I tell you what, though, I can't replace the, the people that I met and the good times that I had, uh, wrote a couple songs about it, but... Yeah, like, getting out of the military is a whole scary deal. I and mean, then they preach about having a plan, having a plan, having a plan. My plan was I was going to go Cowboy. And uh, I've made it work, but it's been, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot they,
0: of work. They, they also preach about you as soon as you get out of uh, basic boot camp, don't go buy a V6 Mustang at, at 29% interest, but everybody yeah, no, does.
2: Yeah, that's be So, funny story, last night I was, uh, so I'm over here in Western Washington doing a CDL school. And I'm going to kind of get, get this information out there for all the veterans. Uh, use your GI Bill and, and use it to get certs if you're not going to college. Get your CDL. Get your crane certs. Go work on something. Like, use that money and use those resources. And that's what I'm doing here is using my GI Bill to get my CDL. And uh, I, a, a friend of mine that I've known since he was a young airman, and I was a uh, staff sergeant at the time, uh, it was graduating Airman Leadership School. And so he asked me to come to his graduation. Well, then, you know, you're, you're going to run into people you knew. And another young airman that I knew uh, when I was a staff at McCord uh, was graduating ALS. So it was great to see him progress through, both of them see him progress through their ranks and stuff and grow up in, in, in the Air Force. But the coolest thing was I saw my commander. My, the commander, Major Magnum or Lieutenant Colonel Magnum now, uh and I'm I'm talking to my buddy that was in my unit, uh, and he says, Cody, how are you doing? And so we just got to talk and, and you know and and you know, when you're in, you, you kind of just get so bombarded with this whole have a plan, all this stuff when you're getting out. You get to think, Well, these guys don't care, they just don't want you to be another homeless vet And you know what? I never thought that Colonel Magnum would remember my face uh and almost two years later. You know, it's like we it's like I'm standing in front of his office again attention, getting yelled at for something, you know, uh, but that 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 really, really set me straight with uh, with how your command structure actually does care about you and your future. because you want to know where I was at, how I've been and all that good stuff. So, you know, I told him I was using programs, and He was happy to hear that. And uh, like I said, I can't stress it enough. You know, anybody that's on the verge of getting out of the military, make a plan even make five plans that way one goes all to hell you got another one to go to but use those benefits if you have to come back to the western side of washington you come back over here and do it.
0: that's right you've got uh you've got a lot of things about to smack you right in the face such as uh rent
3: yeah,
2: uh, and, yeah and i'm
0: yeah. not talking about yeah i'm not talking about that that shit you have on base housing no i'm talking about actual rent
2: you don't get BAH when you're in the outside world. No, uh, yeah. You don't get BAS in the outside
0: world. <laughs> no, um, you know, you, you, you're not going to be able to run to the exchange, you know, and just and grab things. Uh, you're not going to get, you know, uh, you're not going to be able to go to the liquor store and, and pay without tariffs anymore.
2: I, uh, I will say this. Uh, actually, I mean, I, well, I'll tell
0: you that actually, you can if you are near a base. Yeah,
2: if you're near a base, and that's like, yeah. I don't live near a base close to base. Me, it's Fairchild Air Force Base. Uh, I'm kind of like in between Fairchild and Mountain Home almost. But uh, I forgot how cheap those was the flat six. <laughs> and, uh, I, have, I have been so happy to be able to just go to the tail. Uh Yeah, so after I got out of the Air Force, I went to range riding. Uh, well, I built saddles for a while and did saddle repair. Uh,
0: I oh, yeah, I left out me. leather worker in your yeah. intro. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Logging and, you know, truck driving
2: and, you know, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of a lot.
0: Crew chief on C seventeens.
2: C fives also. And uh but yeah, I I uh I you know, I just took the skills that I had and them to where I'm at in life now. And so uh you know, being a musician is more than just getting the, a playing Jade you can attest to this. Like you've gotta be a roadie, you've gotta be a sound guy, you've gotta you gotta sometimes be your own fucking groupie. You know? yep. <laughs> You're showing your own sense t- to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, well, yeah. nine times out of ten, you're playing to yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's either you're playing, you're playing to the bartender, and I'm sure you've had those shows just like that. But you, you uh, and
0: and Jade show. has too. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: But, and, and and she doesn't like you very much because you're absolutely. just another band. Yep. Yeah. I, I try to make life. I, I, so all right, so, go ahead, Jade. I'm the, sorry. The,
1: the coolest thing. I was just going to, the coolest thing about CJ's story is so many of us guys that grew up with horses and cattle east of the Mississippi have dreamed about being a cowboy. CJ was just one of those that was able and, and had the initiative to go out there and actually do it. Yeah. I don't know. And that's that's freaking awesome.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Well, see, like, here's the thing. I, you know, I, I grew up uh, wanting to be an arena monkey, and that's pretty much what I did, except I wanted to, as a kid, I wanted to ride Bronx. That's what I wanted to do. And then I I found out I liked fast horses uh, more than I did bucking horses.
2: So he became the only <laughs> great barrel
0: racer in the entire yeah, the, it, it it's the biggest running joke, and I say it. And I've got <laughs> I've got friends from like every yeah, we different. Still
3: question it, I
0: don't worry, Jay I, You know, I've got friends from every walk of life, and even they pick on me. Like like my friends that are uh, are uh, in the LGBT community, even they pick on me about it. Yeah, they're like I mean, they're you're like. Target. I am man. It's just you just paint a target on my back. And, um, you know, but one thing about this, a lot of people don't know, especially with the National Barrel Horse Association, is the family that really solidified that um, was the Green family here in South Carolina. They helped build it and what it is. And it was Talmadge Green and those boys. Um, that, that whole association and all those ladies owed a lot to those men that uh that, that, that build it up. it's just it is funny. you know, I, I loved it because I was always the uh, I was always the guy that uh they told their, their team roping boyfriend not to worry about.
2: Oh yeah, oh
0: yeah. You uh, know. <laughs> no,
2: I still go on a jumping shows, you know. Yeah.
0: But uh So, <laughs> so, so you so you, get the out the, yeah, so you get out of yeah so you get out the air force, you you make a plan, you go out west. And then all about, of a sudden I actually went east well you okay, you went you went eastern Washington. <laughs> I went from western
2: Washington to eastern Washington. Yeah, I, I bounced all over but then but then you
0: find yourself in uh Wyoming. Was it Wyoming for Ultimate Cowboy Showdown?
2: Yeah, that's where we were at. We were in Douglas outside of Douglas' Powder One Ranch. Beautiful. So, beautiful. so talk Wearing us through
0: talk us through that process. So you're out doing whatever one day and you, you what you see a casting call for the show or no, what
2: i I was watching it with my ex girlfriend. <clears throat> and uh, I'm watching it. I'm watching them I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like everybody else that's ever watched the show. We're like, why are they doing it like that? Why are they doing this? Hell, I could do it better than them. And she says, well, go see if you can get on it. I was like, hell, all right. And, I'm, you know, I had a good bit of lick courage in me. And so I, I submitted a, an application. I entered the casting call, submitted applications, and pictures in. They liked the way I looked and the way I sounded, and my story and shit. And, uh, so this is like a six months long process. And I'll, I'm at the same time, I'm down them, like, I'm still in the airport. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? And so they're like, well, that's fine. We can work with it. If you don't go this season, we'll put you on another one. And, uh, I just happened to be able to pull it out with my ass to go. And, uh, so I, I get out. I final out of the board. I drive home, uh, I'm home for about two days. I uh, doing my terminal, and I I packed my trailer up, and I headed to Douglas, Wyoming. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time. We got down there, so they put a foot in this hotel. Like, this is Hollywood for you. This is Hollywood hates Wyoming, right? <clears throat> Wyoming is this flat. It is this square, right? So, I this is Douglas right here, right? Well, Douglas is here. The ranch is about 40 miles southwest of Douglas, right? Well, they tell me we got a hotel for it in Douglas. I'm like, cool. I, I looked it up. Not in Douglas. It's in a place called Bill, Wyoming. Bill, Wyoming is a whistle stop on the UP about 40 miles to the north of Douglas. And so I'm doing an 80-mile trek back and forth, you know, every day for the first week doing, like, pre-filming stuff and interviews. And uh, there's four cowboys staying in this hotel. It was me, Saul, uh Keaton, Badger, and uh Jamon. And Jamon wouldn't talk to us at all. He he's like, I'm gonna stick to the rules. They told us not to talk to each other. Fuck me and Keaton and Saul. We're sitting there smoking and drinking every night and throwing ropes and like we're just trying to pass it down. We're almost to the point where we're like, hey, we can't afford to be driving back and forth at separate pickups every day. Like, I don't give a damn about this whole, you know, you can't meet somebody before you get on the show thing. Like, we just wanted to be able to save some money because we weren't getting paid yet at that point. And,
1: and there's probably uh, a lot more downtime than people realize.
2: There, there is. There's so much. It's just like the military. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. And it's like you get you get to the filming location and you wait an hour and a half to do something. You you do a five-minute interview and then you wait in the wind and the cold and the rain for another two hours. It, it's two.
0: the same way on a movie set, too. Like, I've done uh, a couple of movies and, 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 and a couple – Uh, documentary-type things where we were, you know, cutscene B-roll and cutscene material. And it's the same thing. Like, they give you a time to be there, and then they want you there an hour early. And then they'll do walkthroughs and everything else. And then as as soon as they're ready to start filming, whatever that time is, if it's 9 a.m., at 10.30, expect for them, for somebody to say action the first time. Mm -hmm. And then you'll run through it about eight times and then they'll you know. end up using the first take, even though you, you did it eight times Oh yeah. and no, then I you'll go set understand. because they're going to go, go, okay, well we got that. Listen, we're going to go do some B roll right now. We see something really cool over here.
2: I, uh, I, I did this TV show uh, called three women. I think is what the name of it was.
1: Um,
2: so I reckon you can add acting to this repertoire, you know, <laughs> to, to this resume. <laughs> no, I, so, they, they called me up. Uh, there was a casting call for a show in Kalispell. And uh, so, I, I go out to Kalispell. Uh, They're filming this rodeo on this show called Three Women. And I will say, the woman that I saw there, she was fine. Uh, don't know her name or anything like that. But of three, I, I'll give her a ten. Uh,
0: That's right. Ten out of ten, Cody <laughs> Trailer, circa 2023.
2: So I, I'm going to sing the national anthem. And uh, and so, we're, we're on horses. we got to ride in with Granny. I bring my horse. Well, the first time we ride in, and this is—I've only had Barrett for about a month at this point. So he's in a bozo, and I—I did—I don't let him run. You know, I never let him just get away from me like a Grand Entry horse because i, I like that. And so I fuck—I'd only been riding the horse for three weeks, you know, and so—and um, so I'm still working him through all that stuff. Well. They all take off in front of me, and then Bear just lights out. I mean, head, out, head in the air, tail up high, just gone. And I'm in a pool, so I'm like, hey, you rock sucker. <laughs> so we had to redo that. And then the first time I get to the mic to sing the national anthem, we'd been waiting about four hours, and no one was bringing us water or beer or anything. And uh, I get up to the mic. So anybody that was in Kalispell for this filming is going to remember this, because I get up, and they're like, all right, how do you care There, you sing the national anthem? I'm like, Oh, thank you. Of course they go, gut, And they're like, what in the fuck? I'm like, I know this drier down the damn desert right now. So they realized that they needed to give us some water, <laughs> especially because we want to like singing the National Anthem. It took us, it took us, I, I'm not even kidding, three or four hours to do like 15 or 18 takes in this. And then it got from me singing the whole National Anthem. They're like, um... Oh, say does that Star-Spangled Banner Yeah, wait, that part right there, I just, and I don't know even know if they cut it, because I've never even seen the episode, but yeah, like, that's filming it's that hurry up and wait, like that and then in reality TV, it's 20 times worse, because not only do they have to do your interview, they gotta do 15 other contestants you know so, uh we, uh, we do that for about a week, and then move-in day comes you know, where we're all driving in and such and, uh you know, you kind of start judging people by what they're driving and stuff like that and where they're from and the license plate. Well, can't no one get a reading on me. Because I've got... Uh, I didn't have any any uh, plates on the pickup because I hadn't got them yet. My plates, I had a Mississippi plate and an Alaskan plate on my trailer. Uh, I've got one that my grandma gave me. It says my hooptie on my, my old trusty, rusty stock trailer. So... Everybody's like, how do you got that thing double-plated? I'm like, it's, it's just a it's just a, uh, a, novelty plate, but at the same time, no one's ever going to question you. So, uh, I'm, I'm throwing everybody for a loose. So, we we get in there, and I put my horse away, and of course, we walking up, Keaton's already standing right there, and me and Keaton had already been drinking and fucking off for a week. And so, he kind of laughs, and he says something, I forget what he says, but uh, I said, well, what's up, fellas? And they asked me where I was from, and I said, well, I live about <clears throat> I live about an hour north of Spokane. Uh, my uh, I'm from Mississippi. I live about an hour north of Spokane. My license plate is, say Alaska and I still think I get mail in Spain. All of which was true. Because I got forwarded mail from Rota, Spain, uh, a little bit after that. So um you know, it's like that was interesting. And so we all met, met Trace, uh, and I'd met him actually in Rota when he was doing a USO tour. And so he's like Oh, man, I remember it. You were the guy that was in that hat there when we were in Rota, Spain. I said, yep, and I got your set list, too, from that show. And so uh, it was really cool. Trace is a cool guy. Uh, Tra- I bummed a cigarette from Trace Atkins, actually, believe it or not.
0: Trace Trace Atkins has got the uh, he's got the voice of a man that smokes Marlboro Reds. Yes, he does. That was a
2: cool one. <laughs> hey, so I- I'm not ever – Kelly takes some riding lessons. Like Trace, if you haven't ever watched this podcast or listen, like I think you're a great singer and I think you're a great performer and a hell of a superstar, Buddy. Please take some riding
0: lessons. Uh, so, so and like <laughs> I've you know and I've watched him on uh, Ultimate Cowboy, and I, I see I see first of all that's a lot of man, and I'm, I'm never one, one to call out. I'm never one to call out you know anybody on a horse. Um, you know, I always try to preach. I, I see poor old ladies get beat up all the time about the stupid ass twenty percent rule that really ain't a thing. Yeah. And but then I see someone like Trace Atkins on this little ranch pony, and I'm like, ooh. Well, you gotta think
2: his legs alone are six <laughs> foot tall. I know his his, his, his legs are. 15
0: <laughs> it, 15 <laughs> 15. No lie, his his calves his calves weigh 120 pounds piece.
2: Exactly. Is no twenty
0: percent rule? It's just whatever horse can shake. This yeah. It's, you know, listen. He ain't gonna worry about getting bucked <laughs> off. That horse. Saddle, can. Like, I'm, I'm telling you,
2: Tracy. Saddle. He can step off of anything. Yeah. That way we can actually make some stirrup
0: leathers
2: that fit you because he rides like a jockey
0: like this right he, here. Seriously, he he. Lay <laughs> He he seriously he seriously he, he he looks like a jockey on a race horse. I know.
2: Well, he's like his nervous. his
0: knee, his knees are up his knees are up in his chest. Yeah, it's like put your feet in the stirrups. Now scoot. Now they scoot. Now, now scoot. So
2: we about about three days of being up on the mountain. We'd all run out of cigarettes. We're almost all out of Copenhagen. You know, coffee's even getting short at this point. Like I don't think that film crew expected us to go through that, the amount that we did. Even though this is season three. <laughs> so
0: you literally have a house full of cowboys.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're Jones and I'm jonesing pretty hard, you know, nervous, all this stuff. I'm like, man, any of y'all got a smoke on it? No no, 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 no. All mine were in the pickup, and uh, Trace comes up. He says, You need a cigarette? I said, Yes, sir. And I side passed my horse right over to him and bought cigarette drink. I mean, it's like, that's my, my 15 minutes of pain right there. Of course, everybody <laughs> knows you the inevitable about what happened with the. That damn portable corral. I'd never used portable corral before. I thought those gates were latched, and they looked at it because I just kind of glanced
0: over
2: and wow, said, "Okay, yeah, looks like they're
0: wrapped." Wrong. Pretty <laughs> uh, not you know. I'm also a blind diabetic, so there you are. That's my excuse. B. I, I watched that, and I watched. It, I'm like, you know, and and it was Jade uh, because I knew you had been on the show, but I hadn't. I hadn't watched it. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I had never watched an episode of Ultimate Cowboy, and. Yeah. um, And so Jade is like, hey, you know, you know, CJ uh, was on there. He said, I I sit down and watched his episode. And I said, wait, his episode. I said, (laughs) I said, so you only watched that first episode. And he goes, no, I don't think he was on anymore. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. And so I watched it. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm like, they doing my boy dirty. They doing my boy dirty. uh. There's that one gal, that one gal, and she reminds sure, yeah. me of every snarky barrel race I ever met. She gave off barrel daddy vibes.
2: Well, you know, I'm not going to sit here. She went a whole lot further in that show than I did, and I ain't got no bad blood against her. Other than the you know shit talking about where I'm from and my hat and stuff like that. Well, know? that's right. what you're t- like, and I don't
0: know this guy. And you know, she seemed perfectly competent. Like I can't pick on her on that. And I, I know think, it's a TV you know show.
2: I can say whatever I want. There is one thing I can't say is that she was not confident. She came in with the confidence to win it. I, uh, you know, but hell, it was, uh, you know, I met Buddy Stopper, great guy. I, I wish I could work with him every day of the week. I, I met his daughter in Alabama because as I left the Ultimate Cowboy, I, I drove to Mississippi, you know, I just got out of the Air Force and I want to see my family. And, uh, and so I, um, I'm headed down to Mississippi. I just had me looking on the internet when I stopped somewhere. It said Booger Brown, Cattle Drive, and Rodeo. And then it said Ranch Bronx. Well, 2021, I was on a pretty hot streak with Bronx riding. I, I was doing really, really damn good. And I and, and Booger Brown had said some words at that you know kickoff party. <laughs> and uh, I was I. I kind of had a a burr up under my saddle, you know what I mean? And I said, Well, I'm going to interrupt in this rodeo. So I I drove down, I I dropped my trailer off in in Mississippi at my grandparents' house, unloaded my horses, and went bobtailed all the way down to southern Alabama. And I get down to southern Alabama, and Booger's riding around on a horse. And he says, What in the world are you doing here? (laughs) And, uh, of course, he's he just dumbfounded that I showed up my ass at his damn rodeo. And, uh, <laughs> I'd missed being able to ride Friday night just because of time, and Saturday night I came on and I, I won to buckle that night, and it was a uh, it was a good time. And you know that was all pride going down there to that rodeo. I was like, I better not. But if I go down there and buck off, I I just quit cowboy. I just didn't quit cowboy at that point because. There ain't no point in cowboying. If I go down there and buck off, and after just getting kicked off the Ultimate Cowboy Showdown, how do you get that luck? You,
0: know? you, you know, I had the same thought one time. I got I got invited out to a Pony Club speed event. Here we are. We've got we've got one D barrel horses. Like we've got horses that's taking us to I don't know what the One D or five
2: or any of that. <laughs> All right.
0: So your one D is like your fastest bracket of barrel horses. We've got one D barrel horses. We get invited out to this Pony Club speed event. And it's like a bunch of kids and like people over 60 and their trail horses and everything else. So we come rolling off the trail and everybody's staring at us. And I look at my friend Brandy and I go, if we don't bring home a paycheck tonight, I'm selling all these horses.
2: Every one of
0: them. And uh, so needless (laughs) to say, uh, when we got through that night, um, they told us that if we were – we did not come back on that property again. And if we did, they would call the law. Well,
2: bugger (laughs) what. <laughs> it, it wasn't
0: uh, well. Hold on. It it wasn't the fact that that we collected paychecks. We collected all the paychecks, like, <laughs> like every event, every. every, every, every of, of them. And I said, "Well, if it wasn't open to the public, then you should have closed it to the public." Right.
2: So booger uh, at booger's rodeo there. I um, I was looking for a place to camp. Yeah, i out and so stuff. I ended up camping on these great boats and they're up to the judge. And, uh, like
0: that didn't have an effect on your score at all.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, we're eating Deer Heart and steaks and stuff, and having a good
0: time. And, That's a fine uh, meal. Yes,
2: yeah, if, it was.
0: If, oh, you've it was. Ne- if you've never been a contestant in the Booger Brown rodeo and hung out with the judges on a bedroll eating a Deer Heart, you're not, you ain't no cowboy.
2: <laughs> you ain't no cowboy. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> No, and you know, they all of them folks down in southern Alabama were, were phenomenal. It was great to be back in the south for a little bit and just kind of be back Listen,
0: back. I I grew up in northeast Alabama and I can tell you Alabama gets a bad rap, but it's some of the most solid earth people you'll ever meet in the world. Oh
2: yeah. Well that's the same looks like Mississippi. Uh you know, I, I, I don't really have a desire to move back home other than to be close to my family. But uh damn, I do miss good people. I'm telling you,
0: you can't <clears throat> say anything, Jade. You are half Midwest casserole people up there in Kentucky.
2: Lay
0: down? No. No, no, no. you got to come down to the deep south where we're from, where hmm. it's collard greens. I'm down there all the time. I know. I mean, I'm about to say, you did fall in love with the cooking this far south. Yes.
2: Well, i just say this. The Memphis barbecue is the best barbecue in the world. The I Midwest
0: will fight family. you.
2: I'll, I'll fight you all day long. Day, right? South Carolina
0: okay, said hold on. my beer. Here's the thing. South I, I, Car- I, I, we don't have to overly sauce our meat because it stands on its own.
2: We don't even put sauce on it. We crowd up and
0: everything. In Memphis, I thought y'all CJ. overly sauced it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, CJ, have you spent any time in Hattiesburg, Mississippi? Yeah, just a little
2: bit. I, I'm from North Mississippi, so that's like two different countries almost. It's
1: almost like Eastern Washington. Okay. 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 Wait a minute. is Tupelo, North my, Mississippi? My wife was... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm from. Okay. Yeah. That's the way you look. My wife was stationed at at Camp Shelby. At Camp Shelby, you
2: said?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she was stationed at Camp Shelby. And uh, there, there was a barbecue joint down there, Letha's Barbecue Inn. That will go down in history as my favorite barbecue, period. It's the South. It's it's going to happen a lot. It's
0: it's, it's the South. It's Whole Hog Barbecue, wherever you go. We were having this conversation, CJ, before you came on. And this is for all the listeners out there. I got people from all over the world that listen. And it's weird because I look at my analytics and I've got people in, like, Slovenia that listen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now when you come to the United States. If you go to the barbecue restaurant and they're open on a Monday or Tuesday, don't even get food there. If the barbecue restaurant is not open from Thursday to Saturday... It's not a good barbecue.
2: Yeah, you know what? I can agree with you on that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell you that if they've got the if if they're cooking enough, if yeah, if they're not cooking Monday through Wednesday, and then serving Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and closed on Sunday for Sunday meeting, ain't good barbecue.
1: And and a plus is if I see that sign in the window or the door. That says when we're out of an item, we're out for the day.
0: Yeah, you ain't yeah. getting no more. You ain't getting or yeah. or you go in there and there's there's uh they're selling bags of cracklings and selling uh bags of meat skins.
2: I miss tamales, mm-hmm. man. I tamale. Good
0: tamale. Uh, we've got so you know where you can get a good tamale around here, and you're gonna th- you're gonna think I'm nuts. So I don't there, know, there there is uh there's a and I don't I don't know. It, what nationality they are um, but there is a Hispanic group here that sells produce at the local flea market I don't know if they're Mexican, Guatemalan Honduran, whatever they are <laughs> I just know that you can go to the flea market and there's a lady that's it's part of the, the family that sells the produce and if you get there early enough you can get a cup of coffee and two tamales for five bucks and they're the best tamales I've ever eaten in my life
1: I can deal with that so for for my old job, in my old job, I used to spend a lot of time in West Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, on the border. And if if you want good, authentic Mexican food without having to cross the border, those are the places to go get it.
2: You're about as close to it as you're going to get.
1: <laughs> yeah, I- exactly, exactly, and uh, you know, and, and down there, some of those people. You know they they cross the border every day to run their restaurants, yeah. and oh, then yeah. go back to Mexico that evening. You know we get we get a we get a, uh,
0: we get a crap ton because South Carolina is mostly ag and just like Mississippi, it's mostly ag, and we get a crap ton of migrant workers. And you can drive past those migrant camps sometimes, like on the weekends with the windows down. It'll starve uh, you, <laughs> slap to death. Make <laughs> you <laughs> You know, and it is nothing, and you'll see those guys walking through the flea market on Saturday, and they've got uh, a chicken in each hand holding it by the feet, and you go, somebody's <laughs> going to eat good tomorrow.
1: And, well, and uh, yeah, yeah.
2: I, uh, that's what I miss the most about the South is just all the good food. Well, and, and my family, of course, and Southern hospitality. But I, uh, I don't know. I just always, once I got out west, I knew was where I belonged and where I wanted to stay and where I felt at home. Yeah. I like my mountains, not little rolly mountains. I like
0: mountain mountains. Oh, yeah. So Ultimate Cowboy Showdown doesn't go the way you, you planned it out. Well, again, I, I'm saying right now, start hash time, hashtag Cody got robbed. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, that ends, you load up. You Say know, you, I said that ends, you load up, you leave. Uh, what are you go thinking?
2: Mississippi. Go down to Booker Brown's rodeo. Well, I come back and uh, to Washington, and there's a local saddle maker, very, very good saddle maker, and he taught me everything I know about building saddles and doing leather work. His name's Scott Holstein, and uh, Holstein Saddlery in Deer Park, Washington. And so uh, he he said he told me when I came back knew I was to work. He said, "Well, watch this video, this three hour long video. Of Don Gonzalez is a, a phenomenal saddle maker out there." Yeah. And Don Gonzalez put this series of videos out on how to properly clean, a hole, and polish the saddle. And so I watched them and I went into the saddle shop and started doing that on saddles and it, it turned into building different things. And, uh, I, I, I loved doing that. And then, well, come, it was also the warmest, driest wintertime job I'd ever had in my entire life, right? And so, uh, <clears throat> spring came around and I kind of got cabin fever and wanted to get out and so, uh, I put my pride aside because I still needed a job <laughs> and I went to leave <laughs> everyone up at Bull Hill Guest Ranch. Uh, that was really fun. I met a lot of good people, um, and made some good memories. Well, after I left and when, before I went up to Bull Hill, I was trying to be the range rider in Northern Stevens County, Washington. And so what people don't know about range riding or for people that don't know what range riding is in Washington, um, we have these things called wolves and uh, wolves and cows don't really get along very well. Um, as in, uh, wolves eat cows. <laughs> Imagine that. <clears throat> they run all your elk off and they eat cows. So uh, the job of a range rider is to mitigate uh, livestock and predator conflict and mitigate depredations and also keep a track on where the wolves are going Um you know, and make sure that they stay away from livestock and people both. And so I was trying to do that. Well, the season ended up up at Bull Hill. And uh, I talked to the Walla Walla Office of Fish and Wildlife, Department of Fish and Wildlife here in Washington. And uh, Andrew Colt, my boss, said, well, come on down here and see if you'd like it and check it out. And I've moved down to southeastern Washington and I was and still am the only year round. Uh, contract range rider for the state of washington and and the blues that's one thing about washington state. This state is so diverse you can go you can you can sit in the middle of the state in, in george washington uh and uh and you can go two hours in any direction and you're in something completely different. You can be in the middle of the desert and sand dunes, you can be in the Rockies, you can be down in the blue Mountains. you can be in scabland and coolies. You can be in the Cascades and the high Alpines of the Cascades. You can be on the coast itself or in downtown Seattle. It's, it's a very diverse state. And, uh, and so it's, it's got, it's, it's got very unique challenges and rewards too. And so I, I started doing that and, uh, and stayed down there in Southeastern Washington. Uh, and that's where I'm at now. Uh, well, currently I'm sitting in Tacoma doing the CDL school, but, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I got to bounce around this whole state it seems, and and do different jobs. And cool thing is, is every job I've had has either been horseback or doing something that you know is is equine related, uh, whether it's training horses or hauling horses or you know cowboying itself or building saddles and doing tack repairs stuff like that or dude wrangling. You know, it's whatever has been able to keep me on a horse. And so, oh, go ahead it is.
1: <clears throat> is where you're at where you like, to I be. like the be?
2: I like the uh, I really love the people in southeastern Washington has some great people really great people that have had stuck their neck out for me and have helped me make it through this past winter and you know worked with me and, and and you know I wouldn't trade my time down there for anything but you know if I had my honest opinion if I was going to make my life in Washington itself i I'd, I'd, I'd miss being up on the Canadian border up in northern Stevens County or Ferry County or Ponderate. Yeah, just I just like my mountains and, and being right there on the Columbia River mm-hmm. and you know, it's just it's really nice. That Snake River country that I live in, it's boy, it's some country to ride. I mean you you turn your horses into goats and uh, and it, it makes really good horses, but I miss my I miss my big mountains up in northeastern Washington.
0: See, if I'd show that to my mayor, she'd dig her own hole and lay down in it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm done.
0: Yeah, I'm done. This is not working. <laughs> so with with the wolves, um have have you ever run across any wolves while you're out riding? I mean, I know yeah, you're I'm looking sure. for signs of wolves, but
2: and, do you uh, run you do, you'll run across them. you'll run a more more so cougars than anything like this past winter was a was a very good winter in terms of it wasn't a hard winter, so the wolves stayed more closer to the mountains. So, one thing that a lot of people from the south uh don't comprehend is winter pasture and summer pasture yeah and so you know it's it's nothing here in the northwest especially idaho montana wyoming uh washington oregon nevada you know it's it's nothing for us and all over the west really I shouldn't just say the oh, yeah. but all, especially the, the interior west too to have summer pastures and allotments that are 100 150 miles away from your house, where you have your winter pasture, where you're at and everything. Yeah, and and, so...
0: and here, you know, we got, in the summer, they'll eat coastal, and in the winter, they'll be eating on rye and fescue. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like...
0: And it'll still be up to their belly and green.
2: Exactly, and so we, we don't have those luxuries out here like that, like water. Uh, if you come to this side of Washington, where I'm currently sitting at, they don't have water right this year. Over where I'm at, we do. And uh, it's because we don't get a lot of it. Uh, our, the majority of our moisture comes from snowfall. It's, uh, we, uh, we do what's called granular irrigation. And uh, uh, granular irrigation is a natural form of irrigation where, uh, where the temperature in the air gets below what's called the freezing point. Now, I know you Southerners, and especially on, on towards the coastal parts of South Carolina. Now, Jade might understand this a little bit more than you, Jay Ryan. But we, we have this thing called the freezing point, right? It's right at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. When, what's 32 degrees Fahrenheit? It's, it's for you. It's cold for us. It's t-shirt weather. In the
0: no, 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 no. Uh, let me go ahead and rephrase this. Under 68 is cold for us.
2: <laughs> That's my, i called my dad back home, and uh, dad says zero <laughs> degrees is 50 degrees. I, and I'll say, oh, what's the weather like down there? He goes, like, oh, it's negative four today. It's negative four, and you know we got the park and everything for us. I'm riding. I'm riding yeah. it
0: where it's 5 below 10 below yeah zero. no 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 and like and you know just cuz I do in in mississippi and south carolina sometimes in the winter you do get those times where it's down in the teens overnight and there's been times where it's been 0 overnight we die <laughs> we we know not we are not built <laughs> well, for it we ain't got the clothes for it when i lived
2: in southern spain I lived because in it's
0: California, so damn humid California. you know it's like 80% humidity and 0 degrees how does that happen when, like uh, the wind <laughs> the, the air just bites you
2: when I lived in southern Spain, uh, like I said, I lived there for three years and, and rode to Spain. And uh, there was one day, one day where it got down to 32 degrees. I saw frost one time there. And, oh, you'd have thought, you'd have thought it was a national emergency. I mean, these people are in people park us and everything like that. I moved to Spain in December of 2016 from Alaska. I, I left Alaska. It was five below zero. I got to Spain, and it was seventy-five. And they're still thinking it's cold. And so, you know, it was just—it's one of those things. It's where you're from. Now, I don't deal with heat very well. That's why. That's another reason I don't go back home. I, Listen,
0: I, I give, me, give me, give me, give me a hundred degrees and like ninety percent humidity. If if the boys yes. are not sticking to me, I'm not happy.
2: Yeah. Well, I I don't like that, and so that's why I don't go back home. But. You know, though, that's that's kind of what makes being up here unique is because in the summertime we do have 100, 110, 120 degree days uh, you know for long stretches. But it's dry. Yeah, we, there ain't no moisture in there. Right, that's right. We get these things called wildfires. And so it's, oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just the, the challenges of, of raising livestock in the West. And it's worth it for me because it's where I've always wanted to be and it's what I've always wanted to do, So. Well, this past
1: December. You know, we had historic cold up here in Kentucky and, uh, we had, uh, it it was the week before Christmas. We hit minus three wind chill of minus 30. Now, prior to that, you know, my, my, my wife was stationed up at Fort Lewis in Seattle and she made a trip in the fall down through Yellowstone glacier, all those national parks. And, uh. You know, had always talked about how nice it is out there, how beautiful everything is, and at one point we had pitched the idea around of of moving, you know, Montana, Wyoming, somewhere like that, and uh, then this past winter we had that cold snap come through, and I'm like, that's that's October through April up there. Yeah, I can't deal it, with it, that. It
2: really is. Like, Couldn't handle uh, it. This this winter this winter really hung around and it stuck around. And look, where I live at, you know, they call Washington the Evergreen State, and I live in the Ever Brown State. Because uh, once you cross the Cascades all the way from, you know, Cle Elum to, well, really Ellensburg, Indian John Hill, yeah, come all the way to the Blue Mountains and the Rockies, there ain't there ain't tree one. And it's just windy and brown and dry. And so, uh, this winter it was just windy. And windy and chilly, and it did not stop until about May fifth. You know, God turned the switch, and all of a sudden, summer showed up. And we're we're getting eighty-five, ninety-degree days where a week before it was highs in the low thirties. You know.
0: So. Well, uh, you know, like cooler weather is kind of hung. It's probably been the coolest spring I can remember here in the south. Um, you know, usually this time of year we've already we've already touched ninety or so, and yeah. we've had a couple of days where we got up in the low nineties, but like. You know, and I got up this morning. It was like sixty-five. You yeah, know, it's and five
2: degree day, any day. It's well, yeah,
0: and I know, like, degrees. and sixty-five is is not bad. I'm, you know, we're being facetious when we say, "Oh, that's cold," but for us, this time, of year, you know, we're talking almost June.
2: Yeah. You know, well, sixty-five degrees here this time of year. You you get to moving horses and moving cows and stuff. You'll overheat them, and just uh, because. You know they're they're used to being out at you know everywhere, from 25 below to 40 degrees above, and so you, you throw in that extra 20, 30, 40 degrees where it's up in the 70s and 80s, and it's 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 almost detrimental to moving them, you know, because they just overheat. Yeah. Them. So it's it's its own challenges, but I I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So it's been a good transition getting out of the airport and just going back to a life that I love.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, 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 it's kind of one of those things where you're like, you, you live in your dream, you're doing what you want to do, you're happy, and, and content, and, you know, and as we get older, and as somebody who's, is older than both of y'all, now, I I got Jade by a little bit, but Jade's kind of in the same generation I am, you're, you're a generation younger than me, I, actually, you're, you're almost, no, you're, you're a generation younger, man, I was about to say two, you're not, you're not two generations younger.
2: Yeah, I'm, you're what, forty. So. I'm a,
0: I'm 30 so. Yeah, so yeah, so you're about a half a generation under me. Yeah. But you, you know, but the and it's weird to say that, but like everything has changed so fast uh from like the 80s till now that 10 years is such a huge difference in how people look at the world
2: anymore. Oh yeah. And well, you and Jay and I all three can attest to this like Look at, uh, look at music equipment. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, those came out with those towers, those, those stand up, you know, three piece towers with the, with the speaker and the bass. And oh yeah. They're, they're great for gigging, but they were, they were, you know, astronomical right? They were probably $2,500 when they first came out. Now you can pick one up for a thousand bucks. Yeah. But, and then you, you have all these, uh, built in features where you can, you have your reverb and you have your, you have your, uh, Forest and you have everything in there. Yeah. And you know, 10, 20 years ago, to get an amp like that, thank God for solid state amps because I mean, heaven forbid you ever have to run a tube amp or something like that. You would never be able to move it. But you know, you 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 take and you embrace the technology, and shit, all of a sudden, you know, what used to be three hours to set up for a four hour gig, you know, is, is now 30 minutes to set up, and you can play, and, and you're not tired out and stuff like that.
1: It, it's tough for people to realize. Ten, ten years ago is the difference between the flip, flip, flip phone being predominant and the smartphone. yeah, smart oh, yeah.
0: Phone. well yeah. Not, well, not even just that. You're talking about a time when, uh, well, like you and you and I, I can't remember a time. If you wanted privacy in a phone call, you just put an extra long cord on it, went around the corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 different. Yeah. It's, it's it's a little different out there. Um, sorry, I'm adjusting my my mix over here a little bit. The uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, and and it's the same way, like uh, same way, like in the in the horse world, you know. Uh, I always like I look back on the, some of the stuff when I started riding that, that we used to do that was just common, and and, and we cringe on it now. Well, you know? look
2: at saddles. Uh... They'll they'll be you'll be in a saddle shop and doing saddle repair and stuff like that. And this lady'll bring in a saddle, you know, or this guy bringing a saddle that is seven years old, they want to put it on their horse. And and you have to explain them and half the time they don't understand it or never get it that horses nowadays are not bred or built the way they were seventy years ago, fifty years ago, twenty years ago. And and so that saddle's never gonna fit your horse. Uh, you know, and you're just going to continue to store up the bag just because you want to ride this. Like, and I get it, I love old saddles. I I love old saddles. Old tag is some of my favorite things in the world. Is it useful on on modern horses? No. No. Doesn't fit them, and it'll never
0: fit them. No, none at all. But the. You know, and I'm always one of those people when, cause I always get quite, cause what I do with social media, I always get people ask me advice all the time, but I always get advice from, of, of shit that I have no idea, like the answer to. Like, yeah. hey, what's, what's a good go to rope and saddle? I don't rope. I don't know. Billy Cook. You know, I don't know. You know, if you can't, you know, if you can't afford somebody to build you a saddle, um, But I'm I'm always
2: one that fits you and your horse. Well, that's
0: me. I would rather you have a cheap saddle that fits you and fits your horse than a high dollar saddle that don't fit either. And then I always tell people all the time before you go out there and you know you're on a budget, before you go buy one of these saddles made in India or Pakistan or China, you know, for a thousand bucks, why don't you spend 500 and buy a used circle Y, Billy Cook, or even go find or find you an old Simcoe from the 80s.
2: You know what? Save up another five hundred dollars, and and find one that's hand built here in America, or hell, even Canada, uh, and that uh, will fit your horse. That is it, modern tree size, and you can ride it for the next two or three generations. Of horses.
0: Exactly. Like you can, yeah. Even even if you buy it second hand, yep. Like well, I would, is, I'd rather is, see somebody buy a second hand saddle. saddle.
2: The traditional saddle bronc saddles, saddles, which is what everything's based off of now, weren't meant for, like, pertron cross bucking horses. No. You can't get them to fit on a horse the way that, you know, they did seven years ago. And, and the design had not changed. The breed really had not ever changed. And so you're you're having these horses that come out almost barrel-backed. They're big, powerful, beautiful bucking horses, but you can't make a saddle just fit on them without their sucking senses down the sight you can't. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just, you know something you you learned, especially when you're in a saddle shop. Uh, it's kind of like like going back to music. You know, if you'd have told someone 25 years ago that hey, you know, you're you're 25 years ago, you're using a cassette tape. You're not using reels, but you're still using tape, right, for recording. Oh yeah. You don't have to. You won't have to cut tape and and splice in for recording. You won't have to worry about run out. You have you know, a million hours worth of storage to do as many tracks as you want, as many cuts as you want of it, you know, it, it will mind. hell, I, and my iPad has more technology in it than what Martin Offler probably recorded, you know, money for nothing in a, in a $10 million studio back then, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah, well, yeah, you talk about, uh oh, you're talking about um Dire Straits. Yeah, yeah. When Dire state Straits went into the studio in what 84, 85 to cut that track, uh, it was reel to reel, and it was probably the same technology the Beatles cut the White Album on.
2: Yeah, right. And so when that's like with solid state and Amp, everybody loves tube amps, and I'm not any different. I love tube amps, but mm-hmm. like solid state amps because I can. Well, I've, I've got, I've got all these sounds built into them. I don't have to carry a pedal board for my stuff, and. And I can play off, oh, and they're also, you know, they're also 30 pounds, what used to be 130
0: pounds. And not only that, but price point, you can yeah. get a lot more bang for the buck. But, and as a guitar guy, Jade is a guitar guy, and you're a guitar guy, there is nothing like the warm sound that comes off of a tube amp.
2: No, and I, I love it, but you know what? These modern amps, you can still get that sound. I,
0: you, can get, you can get that sound, but it's not the sound.
2: It's kind of like folks in the south or in, in, uh, just about anywhere. Oh, carbureted engines are better than anything else that I can
0: always adjust carbureted Oh, no, 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 because there. here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, as good as I do, you let a carbureted car set a year, you got to rebuild the carburetor. You let a fuel-injected car set 10 years, it'll fire right up.
2: Yeah, exactly. I might have to replace O-rings on injectors, but I ain't got to rebuild a car. No, but no, no. Like, uh, also, that fuel injection is able to, to, to use the ECM to you know measure out maximum, bare minimum fuel necessary to pr- produce the maximum amount of torque yeah. power. See, so y'all you, you didn't
0: think y'all didn't think you were going to get mechanic talk too today. <laughs> See, But no, you know, and I like I I you know I like tube amps. I don't own a tube amp. I wish I did. But I don't own, I've owned them I, in the past.
2: I don't amp right now. I just run everything out of a board and into a speaker. So that's kind of
0: what I do. So you just run everything into like a PA?
2: Yeah, pretty much in, into a four channel or an eight channel board and then into a speaker. Now if I if if I was to build a band again, like I used to have, and you know playing, you know shows, I haven't played. I've probably played two shows in the past year and a half, two years. Uh, then I would, I would definitely go back to the half and have to set everything up right. But uh, I just hadn't been in the cards. I've been cowboying where I should be. Doing. So, yeah,
0: but to me, one of the one of the best sounds out there is now. And I'm going to go ahead and say this: Fender is not my favorite guitar brand but a Telecaster through an old tube amp, an old finger yeah, this, tube amp. Gosh like almighty. It, you, and when you can harness like a Bakersfield sound from that. It,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, iconic. It's, it's just, it's the way a Tele is supposed to be. It's the, reason, it's
0: the reason Buck Owens sounds like Buck Owens. That is also the reason why Don Dwight Yoakam sounds like...
2: Don Rich is playing, you know? Well, it's
0: and, not, yeah, well, I was, but say... Buck Owens was Buck Owens because of Don Rich.
2: Exactly, and, and Don Rich was was I mean Don Rich was right there with Roy Clark with a uh, uh, best and and Roy Clark and Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed and all those, those phenomenal pickers. And here's the
0: thing: when you know Roy Clark to me, he is now gets more credit for his guitar playing than he did when he lived.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like well, he, luckily he had he hall with Buck Owens, and so. Mm-hmm. That the, that's one of the cool things about the internet too, like using technology and stuff like that to, to listen to stuff. Man, I, I feel any kid that wants to learn how to play guitar still
1: listen,
2: go listen to this stuff and learn how to make these sounds and yes. learn how to. The, you know. Oh, go ahead, Jade.
1: There are so many underrated, you know, musicians out there. I mean, and if you if you go get into the history of it, you know, Don Rich he was a fiddle player he was yeah, a fiddle player buck, oh, um, yeah. buck owens taught him how to play guitar well you know and the crazy thing and about a lot of don don people rich, don't know that
2: trained violin player he wasn't even a fiddle player yeah well and the crazy
1: thing
0: about don rich is what a lot of people don't know <laughs> <From> is <Sacoma. laughs> well and don rich you know don rich died at the age I, of 30 yeah like On he did Lord Lord not Lord. even peak he did not even get an opportunity to peak i do as an artist but you give Don Rich a Telecaster. Oh, the and I tell you somebody you need to look him up. I cannot remember his name right now, but he's currently, um, Dwight Yoakam's guitar player. And uh, holy cow, just saw Dwight in concert recently. I love. I've always been in love with with anyone who captures that Bakersfield sound. And so I I, I grew up a a Dwight Yoakam fan. You know, then listening to mom and dad's old bucko and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I love that sound. Like, that's, oh, my gosh. Coast it Coast
2: meets West Coast right there, huh? It is.
0: What was a little Tejano, and, you know, it, it's just – it is – like, listen, when you've got pedal steel plus an accordion, I mean, come on.
2: It's, it's amazing. It's like Flaco Jimenez. Flaco Jimenez is phenomenal. You look at Flaco just playing his own stuff, and you look at him playing with Peter Rowan and stuff like that. Free Mexican Air Force, yeah. Free Mexican Air Force is playing the night.
0: You know, and it, and it's but and you're 100 percent right with the internet now. A lot of these guys are getting more. Uh,
2: it's because I and I think it's getting to a point in music, kind of like the horses, also, where where people are wanting to revert back to to the true understanding of music and and the yeah. soulfulness of it, just like horses. People are trying to get back to a basic with horses, where it's not just send them to a trainer and I get them back and, and they, they have every button. I want to teach my horse this stuff myself, and I want to learn oh, it yeah. because I want to be a better horseman. Well, you know, and, so, and
0: a, a good example of that is you look at the type of uh, country music that used to be underground and wouldn't get any play, and you wouldn't know about if it wasn't for the internet. Guys, you know, guys like Zach Bryan and Tyler Childers and they're huge right now. No, they're not getting a lot of radio airplay, but they really don't need it.
2: No, and they do good on their own. It's kind of like Guy Clark. Guy Clark really never got a lot of radio airplay. Towns Van Zandt never got any radio airplay.
0: Towns Van Zandt never Uh, got anything, and Towns Van Zandt probably wrote most people's favorite song, and they don't know it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, like, well, it's like Guy Clark. And uh, Guy Clark is the same way. Uh, And once you got out of Texas, that's why I've always wanted to go to Texas to play music and stuff like that down there just because the scene's so rich.
0: The uh, red dirt scene?
2: Yeah. Out here, it's when you get out in the real West, everything is so spread out. Like, you have to tour just to be able to play music almost. like.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and it just gets to be that point where it's almost monotonous just to, to go play somewhere because no one's going to show up. There's five people in the town. You
1: know, no, one. You're about this close to sending me down the Texas country music rabbit hole. Oh,
0: let's go. Let, Cause let's do it. Because i pretty – listen, I got a huge contingent, contingent – I've had way too many beers um, – contingent <laughs> of, uh, of Western folks that listen to this show. And – Th- that is one thing, and this is kind of universal. And I-, I will say this: is well, like, I'm look, one of the guys. Give me
2: one second and say, uh, if you if you like Western music and cowboy music, then you ought to look up CJ Trailer. Uh, you can find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube. CJ Trailer, Taylor with an R. Session One is the name of the album.
0: Listen, I-, I was about to say I was listening <laughs> to Session One today when I was picking up my daughter from school.
2: I, uh, I really hope I can get back in the studio, and I'd really like to get back down south and record another album before the end of the year. Uh, I think it's overdue. I've got some songs for work. and uh, I would like to recut some of those other songs because my plan with the next, next album is to get on there with a with a band. So
0: the uh, hold on, I got a weird buzz going. Oh, okay. it goes away when I when I talk. Isn't that weird?
2: Jay, do you uh do you do any studio work or uh any
1: session work or anything like that? I I can I don't do it much anymore. Um, yeah. I About once a year is is about what I do now. Um, it, it used to be, um, you know, when I was when I was touring with Marty, if I was not on the road, I was in a st- in a studio somewhere.
3: Yeah.
1: Doing it. now, not saying it was all you know, it wasn't. You know, Brad Paisley calling me up and telling me he wants me to play sessions, but you know, a friend of mine ran a studio. He had a lot of local talent there, and he, he was always needing somebody. It's a pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah, I mean, it, it, oh, recording work, is is a pain.
2: Studio work is monotonous, and, and even just trying to cut your own songs without uh without being in studio, just trying to. You know, you want to get them sound good so you can do a one minute video on Instagram or something like that. God, how many times do you do a retake on those? You know, and, and then you're trying to make them actually be good for an album. Uh, I've got a friend of mine. Her name's Sarah Davidson, and, and she is, she's in a band called High Road. They're a, they're a gospel band, uh, and they are phenomenal. I'm talking the voices of angels. They are, uh, and so we get we get talking about this, and she is a phenomenal piano player. So it's like I, I talked to her about being in the studio and. I would really like to cut some music with her uh, play a piano and do some old Western songs because in my opinion, and I, I try to, I kind of gravitate towards Western music uh, more so than country music. Now I grew up on country music, so I, I, I love it. You know, that's my bread and butter, but Western music speaks more to my heart and my soul than anything else. And so I, uh, that's what I play and write and listen to. And, uh, I, I want to be able to play with people that understand it and understand what the sound is, and and so that's kind of where I'm at with you know trying to form a band uh, to take on to uh, put an album with or you know put an EP out or something like that because I'd really like to actually get back to playing music and 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 going out and gigging and or touring really more than gigging and, and you know doing poetry gatherings where I can recite poetry and 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 then play music also and stuff like that Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's like you said, it's, it's two, I mean, you know, one kind of spawned the other, but, but Western music and country music are are not the same. The Riders in the Sky are some of my favorite artists, Oh man, they're
2: phenomenal, ain't
1: they? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, you know, uh, I, I was at the Opry one night and you know, the, the Riders in the Sky are Opry members. So they're there oh, yeah, often. Yeah. And and they were there that night, and and I remembered hearing somebody, you know, make a comment about, you know, those those wannabe cowboys. And I'm like, they, you all, you have yeah. no idea, the, these that, guys, they, they are legit. Uh,
0: cowboys. I can remember, I can remember being a kid and seeing them on on the Opry, and then seeing them on like the Ralph Emery show, singing riders in the sky. Yeah, and yeah. they had the huge mustaches and the nudie suits and. Oh, man, it was awesome. It was the most epic Wearing thing. Wearing the big wooly, well, it's like the, it's like big it's wooly like, chaps. It's
2: like the Sons of the San Joaquin as
0: well,
1: so. Yeah. Yep. And then they, they got their big, I guess you'd, you'd call it their, their big break, you know, when they were on well, that, a Toy Story movie. Yeah. They, and, they did, uh. Yeah. They wait, they were. Woody's Roundup and all that stuff, so. they, were, they were on Toy Story? Oh, they did Woody Yeah, Roundup. yeah, they did some of the, the tracks. Do, 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 do.
2: Do, 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 all that stuff.
1: I did not know this.
2: Yeah, that, that was them. Yep. Uh, that was like, you know, it's like uh, Robin Hood, though. Robin Hood cartoon. That's Roger Miller. You
0: know, I knew that uh, Robin, Robin Hood and Little John walking yeah. through the, the
3: forest. Glad to say.
2: Well, and, all right, y'all. Me that, that's everything? one thing. That... Here in this chair for an hour and seven, minutes, <laughs> and uh, I've got beer going to me. Uh, so, I, Jay Ryan, I think it's time you ought to plug one of your sponsors.
0: Oh, yeah, we can do that. This would be a good opportunity for a uh, for a nice little sponsor break. I bet you didn't know we had a merch store. That's right. We actually have merch. If you head on over to the description, the notes of this episode, there will be a link there to the merch store, and you can head on over to the Mediocre Horseman store. From there, we have socks. We have hoodies. We have tanks. We have tees. And there's new designs coming out all the time. And the special this month is the Feral Appalachia shirt. 100% of the proceeds of that shirt are going to help feral horses in Appalachia. And 50% of everything else that's sold in the store are, is also going to go help feral horses in Appalachia through Feral Erin as part of the Appalachia Legacy Initiative. So click the link in the description, head on over there, get something, help out some amazing horses, some amazing people, and uh, help me feed my horses, for crying out loud. I want to take this opportunity to talk about our latest partner here on Behind the Horses Eyes, and that is Herd of Zebras. You can find them over at www.herd-of-zebras.com. And Herd of Zebras is more than just an equestrian lifestyle brand. It's a global community of just badass people who inspire others With their perseverance, grit, compassion, and authenticity. And what other people might call scars, whether it be physical or emotional, they call stripes. It's the experiences and the hardships that cause us to become stronger, kinder, and braver. Unlock all of that over at Herd of Zebras. I wear their shirts constantly. I was lucky enough for them to send me some swag. Um, I've done some promotional stuff for them. I'm going to tell you, I am sold. The quality of their products is is, is amazing. They're, all their products are printed here in the U.S. You're not going to find better people and people with a better message than Herd of Zebras. If you use the discount code JRyan at checkout over at Herd of Zebras, you're going to get 10% off of your order. All the info for that is going to be in the description of this episode. That's wwwherd of Dash zebras.com promo code J Ryan for 10% off today. The term boots on the ground usually denotes that action is being taken, that something is being done, unless we're talking about Aaron O'Neill and the Appalachian Legacy Initiative. And quite literally, when we say boots on the ground, we mean her boots, as she is on the ground every day up in the mountains of Appalachia working with horses that the world has basically forgotten. From mineral supplementation to medical care to rounding up bachelor stallions, it is Erin, her pickup truck, and her dogs doing 99% of the work. So when she accepted a partnership with this show, I was more than elated. And she's not paying me. I just want to help. This is how ingrained this subject is to me. As an ethnic Appalachian and a lover of horses, how could I not want to play some role in what's transpiring in Kentucky and West Virginia? So if you want to be part of the amazing work that Aaron's doing, there's going to be a link to the Appalachian Legacy Initiative in the show notes of this episode. And I invite everyone to go click it. Even if you don't donate... Just read a little bit of the work that she's doing, and you're going to gain a whole new appreciation for what it means to be a horseman. One of my most beloved sponsors has got to be Audible. I had an Audible account long before I thought about ever getting into podcasting. And Audible has an awesome gift for all of my listeners. And if you head over to audibletrial.com forward slash Ryan, you're going to get a free audiobook on them and me. All you have to do is sign up for a free trial, and if you decide that Audible's not for you, and within 30 days, you can cancel. No harm, no foul, you spend no money, and you get to keep that free audiobook. Audible has hundreds of thousands of books in their catalog, read by world-renowned narrators. From New York Times bestsellers to the classics, they're all on Audible. So again, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash J Ryan and pick up your free audiobook today. So outside of music though, you've got you've got poetry. Like you are you're 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 doing your version of Baxter Black these days.
2: Yeah, I uh I, I started writing poetry. I started writing poetry long after I started writing songs. Uh, I think I wrote my first when I was in Spain, and it was, it was uh, called Don't Touch My Hat, or Please Don't Touch My Hat, and then pretty much I've gotten fed up with my the Royal Navy lids that were fucked with my hat when I was in Gibraltar, and so I wrote that poem and put it out there, and then after that, I found this love for writing, even more so than I had with songwriting, um, and I never expected to really do anything with it, because I didn't know what it was like to be on stage without having a guitar. Because the first time you get on stage without a guitar, oh, it's like, it's you and a microphone. And, like, getting up on stage and playing, like, when you're playing and singing by yourself is one thing. You take a guitar away from a guitar player and singer and make him do poetry and just recite stuff, then it's, um, it's terrifying. It's like being up there naked.
0: See, I'm the opposite. And... I'm the opposite because when I first started out in music, I wasn't a very good guitar player, and I had a—I was with oh, the I've been
2: playing guitar 15 years, or 17 years, 18 years now, and I ain't a good guitar player. Yeah, so
0: I had I had a guitar player, and so it was just me and a mic. And when I first started out, and then when I fell in with a band where all I did was play guitar, um, predominantly bass, you know, it it, it um it was easy. But then when you mix a microphone. With a guitar is when I start sweating.
2: Yeah. You take my guitar away from me, and I, I don't know. It's like, what do I do with my hand? I'm like, yeah. what do I do with my hand?
0: I'm that guy, if I'm playing guitar on stage and I'm singing, um, I am constantly looking at my left hand. Like, I'm I, up, up on the mic yeah, like I, that.
2: I, killed that habit. I, I do look at my left hand sometimes, but. I like to look out in the audience, and, and you know, at first it was scary because you, you realize how many eyes you have looking back at you. Then, you know, it, it becomes fun. That's why I like being a front man. And, I, and you know, me and my, my own fiddle player, his name is Andy Warburg, uh, we wrote a few songs together, and he moved back to Nebraska uh, when I moved up to the Canadian border, and uh, yeah, he, he was the one that said, look... He, you're a front man. That's, that's what you are. like, And you were made to be a front man. And, and it's because I love engaging with an audience and engaging with a crowd and playing to them. Uh, and, you know, I like flirting. I like being able to you know talk. And I like being able to get a crowd into the show. So if you can do all that, then that's the job of a front man, is to be a good singer and, you know, and play your part because, you know, you're the rhythm section, at least in the band we had. I was rhythm section, so... You know, you've got to keep the timing and stuff like that. We didn't have a drum player. We barely ever had a bass player, so I was the timing and everything. Of course. Well, I
0: listen, I got horrible. I got Marty Rayburn's bass player right here. <laughs> if you if you need a bass player, <laughs> yeah. And if he don't work out, call me. I'll I'll go dust off the bass for you. Well, no, I, my big thing is I have to look at the chord shapes I'm making.
2: I you know I I reckon I just that's one thing that came natural to me. But you know, you take the guitar away, you take the guitar away, and 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 you look at your songwriting, and it's just poetry with a couple extra chords. And so I, I learned to capitalize on that. So when I write a poem, I kind of write a poem as, as a way to say, all right, well, how would I turn this into a song eventually? Some of them I look at, and I'll, some of them I can turn into songs. other one's it's like, oh, I'll just keep it a poem. Like I, I wrote that song off to Missoula. It's on my yeah. album, and and so that was actually a poem. I was I was hauling horses down to Ashton, Wyoming, and uh, and so I had, I had left in the morning, and the sun was buried in my eyes all morning. And then I got down to Ashton and turned around, coming west, and the sun was just buried in my eyes all the way, pretty much. to, to uh, I know and uh, and so I uh, I, I was. I had a Snapchat conversation with a group of friends of mine. And I was like, boys, I got the sun in my eyes, the east and the sun in my eyes, and the last God made me an asphalt junkie. And it's what I love the best. i chased white lines all the way from Wyoming to Tennessee. And I, I've kissed every woman on the way and some I didn't want to see. And, well, then I took that and, you know, I just didn't want to leave it as a poem like that. It's just something that, and I was like, well, hell, that's actually a good song. And so that's where I wrote. That was actually really my first trumpet song I ever wrote. So long before I became a real trucker. So.
0: We need, we got to get with you about writing a song to be our our intro for the show. <laughs> and we'll give you full credit every episode in the in the show notes.
2: Two idiots in a podcast.
0: That's right. There's these two idiots with horses.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, Dave, have you done a lot of songwriting yourself?
1: Or? Very, very little. I've I've always been more the, you give me what you want me to play and I'll play it. Yeah. Um, I, I've dabbled in it a bit, but nothing that I'm particularly interested in the general public hearing.
2: <laughs>
1: I was a you know, I, I was a better. <laughs> I, a
2: song I don't want anyone to hear it. So I wrote this song called Rabbit Hole, and
0: uh... we're good at those around here. Yeah, we've got right. those.
2: I wrote that this song could rabbit hole. You that, know that could be
0: the done? damn that could be the damn intro music there, and rabbit hole. See <laughs> what now? I said that should be uh, the intro right there, rabbit hole, because that's what this show is.
2: Well, the chorus says, "Down a rabbit hole, I don't know where I'm going. Down a rabbit hole, I don't know where it stops. I think I see a light at the end of this tunnel, but it's only your flame that dies off and traps me inside." And it's a depressing app song. I yeah. hate writing depressing songs. I hate singing depressing. You ain't never gonna catch me singing "Whiskey Lullaby." I like singing songs about cowboy I happy. and, <laughs> I mean,
0: rodeo, uh, like and here crazy. I am, here I am, that, that spent years in emo bands, yeah, and yeah. always we we were depressing ass songs.
2: And so my, <laughs> my ex was like, "That's the best song you've ever written. That's the most true and best song you've ever written." I'm like, "I am not playing that damn song." And of course, everybody that hears it's like, damn, man, "You'd be a millionaire if you played that song." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't want people to think I'm a depressed emo son kind of a bitch." I like. Songs about horses and
0: driving, <laughs> right. and wild you know, women, and you know. Yeah, and, if I'm going
2: to write songs about heartbreak, by God, there's going to be some drinking about.
0: It. Let's go. That's right. You know. Well, you know. Listen, the the, the world needs another Earl Thomas Conley and Keith Whitley. That's
2: the young kids
3: there. I'm gonna go ahead and take my Rose dad. No, no, that's, John, that's Conley. John Conley.
0: Uh, that, but that's another one. Let me tell you something. John Conley, Earl Thomas Conley, John Mellencamp, and uh, Keith Whitley. Uh, will make you go through a case of beer in a minute. I wonder
2: minute. if they're related, Earl Thomas Connelly and John Connelly. No,
0: nah, spelled different.
2: Uh, well, right, John Connelly has the god-awfulest album cover ever made. I don't know if y'all remember the Veggie Tales, uh, but there was a Mr. Pete <laughs> in the Veggie Tales. And so the rose-colored glasses album, he's in a fedora and the yep. three-colored suit, and he looks like Mr. Oh, and he's got this beautiful Spanish woman somewhere
0: Oh, yeah, I with like, like a American Hawaiian, Hawaiian print shirt yeah. on under the suit <laughs> jacket. <laughs> The funny thing about this is when you look at him <laughs> when you look at him it's just to disguise the fact that the man was literally an undertaker before he became a singer.
2: <laughs> a phenomenal, I I've been saying a common man like it's no one's business. I'm just Common, common
0: man, man driving, drive a common van. van. My dog ain't got no pedigree. I, I love that what, that first line.
2: Let me drive you to McDonald's and I'll talk to you about,
0: about something, something you should really Beachly. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that song. That, but uh, old school is one of my favorite songs of his, um, along with "Rose Colored Glasses" and uh, "Friday Night Blues." That's right. But Earl Earl Thomas Conley, and for the younger folks listening, they probably don't know who ETC is. ETC wrote some beer drinking music, and they were all he had some upbeat stuff. Like Earl Thomas Conley is a guy that actually wrote um, "It's Finally Friday" that George Jones made famous. Um, But he had you know holding her and loving you. Like I see people doing YouTube. Uh, reactions that have never heard that song before and they lose their mind when they hear that song well
2: alright so it's like uh, it's like what song was I just thinking of um, oh
0: God, uh, but when uh, I hear when I hear what I'd say by Earl Thomas Conley
2: Gosset,
1: that's who I oh my Burn. gosh Chiseled in Stone is oh. one of the best songs ever written set them up Joe you know it's going to take a month of Sundays to get me over Saturday night well,
0: well he uh he mentions he mentions ETC he mentions Earl Thomas Conley and Set him up go. Yeah. No he,
2: he's talking about Ernest Tubb.
0: Is he? I thought he was talking about Earl Thomas Conley. No,
2: he's talking
0: about Ernest Yeah, Tubb. Ernest Tubb. I, okay, well I learned a thing.
2: They got a finish Victrola in 1951.
0: Well, can I tell you, can I tell you who probably had one of the best voices ever in country music?
2: Yeah.
0: Tennessee Ernie Ford.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, oh. what do you get? Another day, older and older
1: and dead. Um, St. Peter. Dolby, yeah, I, I would give anything.
0: Who's saying who Counting Flowers on the Wall? That's the Statler Brothers. That's
1: the Statler Brothers. Yep,
0: yeah, Statler the Brothers. Statler Brothers. And then, no, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking Hello, Walls. That's, uh,
2: well, that's Fair and Young. That are Fair and Young. But Willie Nelson wrote that.
0: I did not know that. Well, that's just yeah, my, that's just like Chris Christopherson wrote me and Bobby
1: McGee. Yeah, Chris Christopherson. My my oh, go ahead. my my grandpa he went to Korea with uh Farron Young oh, in yeah. the army. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, Gosh, I, what I wouldn't give to have been alive 60, yeah, 50, 60 years ago. In Korea, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I, I listen to a lot of Fair and Young stuff. Uh, I listen to a lot of, you know, Willie is is a, is a phenomenal songwriter, and, and and so you know, that's one thing about songwriting. I, I I fall in love with more songwriters than I do like. That's why I, I get that grind So he's a good songwriter. I met him in two thousand twenty one in Winter Washington, helped him get on his first bucket course there, and uh, and so he's a good songwriter. I got to play that Guild three hundred and fifty he's got, and we sat there and I got. To, I mean, everybody that was there. I got so drunk I didn't even get on my horse the next day. Uh, but uh, and I was I was in a position win that rodeo. But, all I had but, to do was sit up on my horse for eight seconds. I don't want the shit
0: out of. Yeah, I'm like you, and and to an extent, because like one of my favorite singers, especially in country music of all time, is more of a prolific songwriter than he ever was a, a singer songwriter. Radney Foster. Well, it was Foster and Lloyd in the, in the 86. This is a te- te- rabbit hole. Texas in 1880. This is a rabbit hole
1: I'm thoroughly enjoying.
0: Yeah, he so he wrote that. He wrote and played that song. And then, um, oh, my gosh, like a crap ton of others. He wrote songs for uh, everybody from Blake Shelton to. Wrapping um, oh,
2: back around the poetry. And what got me into Catholic poetry uh, is also my big influence of Western music. Uh, I, I, I grew up, you know, I knew who Chris LeDoux was growing up, and I always loved Chris LeDoux's music. And so you, you after, got to. Chris Leduc, after, well, after listening to Chris LeDoux for years and stuff, and moving out West and starting to really get informed of culture, you know, then I figured out who Don Edwards was, and then I figured out who Waddy Mitchell and Joel Nelson. And I, if I can plug one podcast in this podcast, it's Andy Hedges, Cowboy Crossroads. Andy is a phenomenal poet and songwriter uh, and and keeper of just history. And so Andy Hedges, and then you've got guys like Brent Hill, and you've got, you've got Andy Nelson, uh, you, and and these poets that have cowboyed their entire lives, and it's just a chronicle of their lives and their experiences. And it's also keeping these these old S. Omer Barker poems alive and everything else like that that is is so. Western. And then yeah. uh, what really kind of sunk my shift was discovering Ian Tyson. Ian uh, yeah. Tyson is by far my favorite singer and songwriter. You know, Ian, Ian, if you look at his songwriting career, his first song he ever wrote was Four Strong Winds," And Four Strong Winds" has been recorded by everybody, and I, I'm going to record it on my next album. Uh, but Ian was right there in Greenwich Village with, with guys like Dylan. And, and Gordon Lightfoot and Ramblin' Jack Elliott, all those, and then Ian and Sylvia. Can, even can
0: we just the- talk about how big of a loss losing Gordon Lightfoot recently was?
2: Yeah, well, it's the same. That's how I thought about losing Ian Tyson back in January. It's the same yeah, December. It's just like uh, if you lost, you've lost two of Canada's best. Like the two best Canadian. I'm numbers.
0: I'm telling you, we need to wrap core Blund and bubble wrap. No, let him. No, I'm just saying, he make music from bubble rap because we can't lose core blood because he's what we got left.
2: Well, we got Tim Huss still. I don't know if you know Tim Huss. You don't, I do not. I know you, you people from down south that have never been, you know, you don't know what a hardcore apple picture from the Okanagan is. You
0: know? No, 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 no. But I know what a Hurt in Albertan is. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know a couple of them. But, uh, I, I was, uh, we we're so the Okanagan caught on fire back in 21, and, uh, uh, I'm running wildfire relief, really, you know, feed and, and, and fence and supplies and stuff like that. all up to o- Okanagan, Tinasket, uh, OMAG, places like that. And uh, my girlfriend at the time flipped from Mississippi. And uh, that song, Hardcore Apple Picker from the Okanagan, comes on. Hardcore, hardcore, hardcore apple picker from the Okanagan. One by one, <laughs> of the sun, I'm one the ones who gets the fruit picking down in the Okanagan. Well, she's like, what in the world is Okanagan? I said, honey, we're going to Okanagan right now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, what, are, what, the, what on earth is going on? And I like, yeah. well, you know, and, that's... You know
1: and, and, and I was just thinking about this yesterday, the day before yesterday. From 2020 up to this point has been a horrible time at losing. Phenomenal. Artists.
2: Yeah, and and you know I don't think we're I don't think we're gaining much either. Because when twenty like it, so when twenty twenty It's happens, all
1: cookie cutter now. Happens,
2: it is. And then you can't gig. Like you cannot gig. No one want, everybody just does karaoke and the stupid shit like that. No one wants to just do yeah. music and hire bands or hire singers and stuff like that. I don't know where Jay Ryan went.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Sorry my my oh, daughter's down here play? looking for for bandages for play? a dog.
2: Oh hell! When did you start playing?
1: <laughs> but, man, I grew up in it. My yeah. my family played. It was a it it was a family affair. You know, I, I remember growing up. Uh, you know, big Christmas gatherings. They were practically reunions. You know. Yeah. And yeah. you know, music oh, what, what, going like on.
2: Call reunion, but we saw each other at least once a quarter, so it was never really a reunion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. When, exactly. What was your first professional? Yeah, I, I grew up. What was your it.
2: first professional music
1: gig? What what? Well, it, it depends on your. It, it was it the first paycheck that I ever got. Yeah, What's we'll go with that. Or, yeah, we'll go with first paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I. It, it was it was some guys in in high school, you know, we play local stuff, get paid, you know, $25 a a man, stuff, stuff like that, you know, of course, you know, for at at that time, you know, that that was high cotton for me. Um,
0: I can tell you mine. uh, I still remember my my first paying gig. It was me, my buddy Dan on guitar and uh, a gal that, that had one of them drum boxes. I forget what they're called. And uh, we played a, we played an acoustic set of songs that had been written for a full band, uh, and we had no idea how they were going to turn out. We got invited to play this this show. It was like eight bands playing that night, and they needed somebody to open as people were filing in the door at this little skeezy, um, you know, punk rock venue. That didn't even have air conditioner heat.
2: I can't, I, I can't imagine him being a fucking emo kid.
0: And, uh, and we played that set, <laughs> and uh, it was on a percentage of what was brought in the door, and I think each of us got like 20 bucks cash.
3: You got fucked. <laughs> yeah, so we ended
0: up with like <laughs> 60 bucks that night, and That's we were like so when excited.
2: I, when I had the band and we were playing like that, I'd always have my, uh, I'd always have, I'd, one, I would tip, I'd tip the door the, the guy. That way, they told me exactly how many people came in, and then I'd always have the, whoever was running the sound kind of keep a, a rough estimate. That way, we knew if we were getting fucked or not. You know, yeah. we're we're not we're not able to pay attention to that shit on stage.
0: So. No, listen. I played so we played a bar one night, and this was a full band thing. We played a bar one night, and uh, it was a five dollar cover um, that night, and it was a couple of bands playing, and the bands were all going to get an equal cut, and it was all local bands. Pretty good crowd that night. And, um, usually when you play like that, if you're drinking something like Pabst Blue Ribbon or, or well drinks or whatever, usually the band is good. Like they're not going to charge the band. And, uh, we come off, we're hanging out and we're finally, you know, it's the last call. We're wrapping up and we're, we're hanging out to get paid. And they're over there tallying stuff up and they're like, okay, um, all right, so deducting your drinks, and I'm like, "Whoa, ah. deducting hey, a you what? <laughs> what?" What, what is <laughs> did Deducting <that> the what? <laughs> yeah, like you know, we weren't going to make, but like a you know, probably two hundred bucks anyway, and they deducted one hundred and
1: fifty bucks for drinks. I'm Gosh, like, you you have reminded gross. me, uh, you've reminded me of something that I haven't thought about since it happened. Basically, so you know, with with Marty, I made a day rape. It didn't matter if one person showed up or ten thousand people showed up.
0: Yeah.
1: I made the same paycheck after every show. And we had because you
0: literally played bass for the lead singer of Shenandoah. (laughs) It must be nice.
1: (laughs) Well, we had done we did a two week tour up into to Canada. All the way up into Prince Edward Island and back down. And we we had one show just north of Maine up in, in Canada. I can't remember the name of the, the little town, but there was a lady there. And, uh, the, the, the Canadians right across from the border, they do have the same accent as people from Maine. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. she, she was going to, she had a food truck up there. I'm, I'm going to fix you all some of the, the, the best lobster you've ever had, you know, and you have just a, going did, on about, did you have a lobster just, roll? Just, just, just going on about it. Well, we we go to her food truck, and uh, Marty was doing his thing. He was in the bus or something, and, and the rest of the band. We went up to that that place, and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 take that." So she she fixed us fixed us up with, I mean, a whole boiled lobster, fried clams. I mean, just the works. My, my kind of
2: food. And right then there. no
1: and, shit, and and and, <sighs> and then after she was done, and after we ate. That, that'll be $85 for each of us. Oh, no. No. And I was like, what? You know, that's... All I, that, that's,
0: all I can think about... That, that's a point,
1: significant portion of my paycheck that I'm getting for being here today.
0: It's considering that I'm from the Deep South is all I can think about is uh, Sammy Kershaw. We sit there talking by the lobster tank. Yeah.
2: <laughs> if I have to hear... If I have I'm like, why did this have to be a song that everybody wants to go make their
0: redneck girl? I know, Queen of really a Double Wide Trailer. Like, it, right. it, it was a good song, and now they've ruined it for me. <laughs> like, you know, so they've, the, they've ruined uh, Sammy Kershaw for me. That,
2: that takes the a
1: one of my favorite parts of playing music is the guys that you get to make music with. I. I wholeheartedly agree. You know, you, you especially for spending. You, you do, you do, and you know, it's like I was telling you on that uh, that TikTok live that night. You know, the last year that I worked for Marty, I was on the road two hundred and eighty days that year. You know, we were we were gone.
0: I was a touring musician, on and
1: two hundred eighty days,
0: dude.
1: Yeah. I, I don't even, even want to. I don't. You know, I. <laughs> I, I rented an apartment with a buddy of mine and I was, I basically just paid rent. I was never there. And, uh, you but, but just those, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but those guys that that you travel with are just that there was one guy in Marty's band. Um, absolutely just hilarious all the time. He didn't even mean to be that. It was just, it was just him. And, and, The funny, My favorite part about him, so when we were out on the road, he kept a one-liter bottle of Evan Williams bourbon in his suitcase. And when we got to where we were going, here'd come that bottle. And he'd grab a little clear plastic motel cup and start pouring shots. And after about six or seven of those, he'd turn that TV over to QVC and start ordering shit. (laughs) He'd get drunk and start ordering shit and so uh, I, I was with him i was rooming oh, with him one night and i saw an him intervention with him like hey man <laughs> yeah. so You're so, so i was with him, him and, them on the and <laughs> i i saw him screwing around with the phone one night you know didn't think anything of it and the next week he showed up and uh, his off stage attire was consistent a black t-shirt and black sweatpants that's all he wore ever and, this and the
2: Sammy first show you said
1: no, no, it was Marty Raven Oh, Marty Rabin, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was one of his guitarists. Why was and uh, ordering he ordering things
2: off QBC.
1: So, so diamond, he, diamond he just necklaces? it 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 was his thing. It was his thing, and and he showed up, and and it looked like his T-shirt. It looked like somebody had taken a tube of super glue, held it in the palm of their hand, and then just crushed it with their fist, and it squirted all over the front of his shirt. And I was like, yeah, "What in the hell?" <laughs> I said, "What in the hell?" He goes, "Man," he says, "I bought it off the the Home Shopping Network." He says, "It's it's called Mend It," and I said, "Mend It? What what is that?" And he goes,
0: "There we go. I got to show to- you right there. Look at that fellow. <laughs> that fellow right there."
1: And I was telling you. I did not strike a note on that album. I'm on the cover. That was recorded during my hiatus between my two stints with Marty. So they recorded it. They did all the work. And the day I came back, that was the day of my first show back with Marty. He said, we have a photo session for that album. And uh, I got to pose. And
0: You're telling me you didn't bring clothes there. for that? Right. <laughs> I've I've been in that situation before too. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do a photo shoot and I'm like I don't I don't have clothes for that. Right. <laughs> I have I have clothes to sweat So the three of us have kind of something in common.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me get a dip down. Don't just show me packing my lip
0: right now. I know. Here's a, no, I'm gonna show you packing your lip because the the video is probably just gonna go on Patreon. The uh But we all have something in common, and that is the three of us kind of have a a, a taste for kind of bougie bougie kind of horses. Like, I like Morgans and Cleveland Bays and Thoroughbreds and Warmbloods. And me, too. I was about to say, and you, too. Like, most people would be like, oh, that's a guy that has some kind of, you know, roachy-ass, you know, Ranch Appaloosa or uh, Mustang or... Or you know some Hancock Quarter Horse or something.
2: Oh, I take whatever stay I can put a saddle on. really.
0: Well, that that's really me. It, you, know, <laughs> you know, what my favorite breed is is uh sane and sound.
2: Yeah, sane and sound. There
0: we go. Um, easy to keep on. yeah, anything any, easy easy keepers a great breed uh yeah, to look I, for. I'm,
2: I got a couple of registered easy keepers that I, you know I, I selected out and I breed I everybody. Breed
0: that's what we got to start. Is
1: we got to start the American Easy Keeper Association. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Buddy, I want to be the president of that shit. Um,
1: I've, got, I've got some dandy founding stock over here.
2: We spell, we spell
0: keeper with a Q. Yeah, that's right.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Eat your heart out, A Q H A. Here comes the Easy Keeper Association. <laughs> The, uh, okay, wait till I you see, see our events. Right there and I won't roll. That's right. Uh, our horses run barrel patterns in minutes instead of seconds.
1: They're I'm, I'm for... going to put my dog out real quick.
0: Go ahead. and Put your dog out. Our, uh, yeah. Easy keeper association built for feed, not speed.
3: <laughs>
0: That's right. The, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. Like I have my little half Morgan and she's super easy keeper. And then I have this bougie ass cart horse. That's a Welsh Percheron special bred cart horse, bred to be a gray. <clears throat> She's a baby doll. She's an absolute baby doll. Easiest keeper in the world. Like if she looks at food, she blows up.
2: Well, uh, so I've got Bear. I'm down to one horse right now, and I kind of did that on purpose because I knew that it was going, I was going to be in the CDL school for a month. And so uh, I brought Bear and Sage over here to the left side of Washington with me. And Bear is just a, he's just a great quarter horse. I could register him. I'm not going to pay his money. He's a gelding. Why would I register a
0: yeah. gelding? You're not going to breed him, so it doesn't really matter. If you're not going to yeah. sell him, it doesn't make a difference.
2: And on that, you know, people always say, oh,
0: he's my forever horse. He's
2: my forever.
0: He's my forever. Uh, everything's got a price. <laughs> exactly. Everything's got a price. my damn forever
2: horse, You know, it's <laughs> like, well. I mean, I'm, I can't say it. if someone offered me the right amount of money for him. All right, yeah, bye
0: there. Listen, if you can afford to pay a million dollars for Tater Mare over here, that well, I say it's going to die here. <clears throat> She's going to die wherever a million dollars is going to take her. Because if you're <laughs> going to pay, if you're going to pay a million dollars for her, you're going to take something real-
2: that was actually reasonable or, or decent. I'd say, all right, well,
0: I'll get another $600. Well, but, and not only that, but you know Bear, just as good as I know Tater Mayor over here is going to be very well took care of if you're going to pay the price I'm going to ask.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's like, I, uh, I, I've i taken a lot of different horses of, of different breeds. Connemars, one Cleveland Bay, and, and, and furbred.
0: I love a Cleveland Bay. Gosh almighty.
2: Me too. They're my favorite breed. And that's They're a my unit. Dream. My dream one day is to have a Cleveland Bay ranch property. Like the Bear Paw Bays and the Bear Paw Mountains in Montana where I'm raising ranch horses, please, and uh Oh,
0: God. So the horse that a lot of people don't understand was very influential in building the West. Well, we, were we did
2: in, that whole video on
0: We were importing them in droves, and, like, people always get this idea of the quarter horse. They're like, oh, what about – you know, what about – uh." You know steel dust and all that, and I was like steel dust. You mean the A Q H A founding sire that was a Morgan?
2: Yeah, Oh, uh, it's like, and, and that's why uh, people get up <laughs> their ass about Morgan and stuff. I'm like, Morgans are good. I, I like Appies. I'm not going to hear. I don't. I don't
0: hate Appies, but I want the internet to think I do.
2: Yeah, that's like Texans and me.
3: It's it's been the
0: running. <laughs> it's been the running joke with my content forever. Like I have people that block me over Appy stuff. And I'm like, and then the old school people was like, yeah, I know. You, you, you so, low key don't
1: mind one.
2: My 27th You birthday,
1: You work so hard at it. You, you work so hard at it. And I say one bad thing about that I don't like about Curlys, and I've got enemies.
2: I, uh, my 27th birthday, I bought this Abby. Like, and she was wild. Like, we had to run her on the trailer, all this stuff. Well, catching like, her was going out and roping her and being drugged around for her. An hour before you could finally get her and, and it was it was a train wreck. I ended up trading her. Like I just like dream of making her into this fancy bridal horse and all this stuff. No, no. Only thing she was ever good for is dog food. I ended up trading her for a for a John Deere twenty ten gaff tricycle tractor. And for anybody that knows anything about John Deere tractors, uh they, they know that twenty ten is an absolute shit series. Well, I traded this horse that had no brakes at all. Would not that She would run you off 5,000 a 5,000 foot cliff if it meant you came off her back. Like, not even thinking twice. I traded her for a tractor that had no brakes and was just as prone to flip over on you as her. So I don't think either one of us got anything <laughs> out of that. <it. laughs> like, worst trade ever. Uh, the good thing was about the John Deere was I could let it sit for three months and I had to feed it, you know? <laughs> and I told my girlfriend at the time, I said I'm going to trade this horse for a tractor, and the first tractor popped up, I traded it for. But I, I really like Appy because they're hardy, and, and in the country that I live in and ride in, they're they're really they're really good at it because it's the same country that they're they're founded. Jay Ryan Yeah, yeah, text.
1: that's where they were developed. Yeah. Sorry, I was I was tasting a fan.
2: I was texting a fan. <laughs>
1: Uh, Ron was, I could see he was looking down, text and texting. Yeah. What were we talking about, Ron? I, I heard something about curlies. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was a minute ago.
0: Uh, I, I brought up Cleveland Bay's. You said something about curlies, and then I started texting. <laughs> uh, I had a girlfriend
2: who crazy job jumping the horses, and she was the one that got me into, uh, into fancy horses and, and why I really love horses with good build confirmation and sporting. And, you know, I realize that you can take about any breed of horse, no matter what it is, and you can put them on cows, and you can put them in the ranch work, and they'll do it. 99% of the time, they'll do it. And, well, and the, you give them a job, and they want to perform it.
0: Well, and, no, yeah, and there are horses that are job-driven. They they yeah. they, they love a – and not only that, but they are horses most of the time that that are super intelligent.
2: And they're they, super playful, and then when they figure out that they can push around something like a cow – Oh, they'll push around cows all day long, and they'll get
0: really good at their job. Yeah, well, you know, and and I'm going to throw this out there, and you might agree with this, and some folks out there may not, and I, if if they don't, it's because they've never seen it. A good example of that is a very well bred warm blood that's been turned over to the Western world.
2: Yeah, oh, trust me, I've had them. I love them. I, I,
0: I, I give give me a Holsteiner or a Dutch that that will that will show some teeth around a calf.
2: Uh, And they will. And, you know, naturally, they already get snaky and necky and get out there like that. You put them on a calf or a cow or something, oh, boy, God, it's it's a fun day. Because if you're on the 17-hand horse, you know, that's just just getting snaky necked around all these guys, ready to fight and chase everything.
0: Off-the-track thoroughbreds, too, completely underrated. When it comes to that kind of work, they you know, they can go all day. They've got the endurance. Like you don't you don't breed speed on speed in that world. You breed speed on on you know stamina in well, in, in thoroughbred world.
2: Them, you know you can also use them in the endurance world because they're athletic and and they'll go all day long. Um, and you it, uh, so here in Washington, there's a lot of off scratch thoroughbreds. We have a bunch of racetracks on the west coast. We have Emerald Downs. Grand Pass and you know, all the ones in California. And and so there's a lot of off track horses that get sold. And I, I've restarted a few. And some of them I've absolutely hated and hated my life. And one put a bullet in them, and other ones I've absolutely loved. And, but there's also been quarter horses just like that. There's been warm bloods like that. There's been dogs just like that. And so it's just you, every horse, every dog, every person has a personality. They're all individuals, and you have to. Harness their individuality, and and you can make good horses out of, you know, what some might, some, it might be shit in the arena, but you put it outside on a trail once you finally teach them what a trail is. Good example. When I worked at Dude Ranch, he gave me an opportunity to take a lot of outside horses and put a lot of miles on. So I had this warm blood last year. Uh, he did not know what a trail was when I first got it. He, you know, he'd be all over the mountainside and nowhere on the trail. Water. If he saw water, he would freeze or jump straight over. it. Two weeks into riding him, you would think this son of a bitch is born with talent. And you know, and in the mountains, because he was just—he he, he gave him a job and a purpose. And uh, I didn't put on him; well, and just push him through it, and, that, and he became a really good horse.
1: Regardless of the breed, regardless of the discipline, you know that that old adage holds true: miles make horses.
2: Miles make. Sweaty saddle
0: pads. I was about to, just about to say, wet saddle pads make good horses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The you know, mm-hmm. I've I seen a lot of horses that were that have come to me, and I'm no horse trainer. I'll be the first to, tell you, I'm not, I'm not a horse trainer, but I've taken in horses over the years, or people have brought me horses for the years and be like, you know, oh, it's a problem horse that I don't think it's ever going to work out. I get it for a song, and, and all the damn thing needed was some miles and somebody to show it a, a direction, be a little firm with it. And and not I'm not talking about firm as in snatching around and being a dick to the horse, because that ain't going to get you nowhere. But somebody just to be firm and go, no, we're not going that
1: way. Clear communication.
2: Well, yeah. it's it good hands. Good hands make good horses. And well, it, 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 the old it, adage,
0: you know, the old adage, soft hands make quiet horses. That's a hundred percent true. But you got to get to the point where you can use soft hands.
2: Yeah, and so for yep. me, like growing up, I, I manhandled horses, and I always thought that you had to show a horse to his boss and this and the other. And it wasn't until my mid twenties when I actually learned, like I said, when I actually learned how to ride and how to be a horseman, and and started actually embracing that. And I wanted to get soft and easy and quiet with my hands. I wanted to get soft and easy and quiet in my movements, and mm-hmm. that's what I did. And I learned that I could actually be a really good horseman doing that. And it made it made riding. It took writing for me in a tour and a job to my life. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's one of the reasons why at 40, you know, things like dressage interest me now.
2: Well, and like, yeah, man, that was me at 27 because, I, you know, growing up, I was like, oh, i never do that anymore. It's like paint
0: drying. Out. Who wants to do that? You know? Yeah, and, and now
2: and, I'm like, if, if I get a chance to go to a jumping show or anything like shit, I'm going. I, I love it. Oh, yeah. And, I, and my cowboy buddies are all, they always get me a hell about it. I'm like, well, you know, I'll get on bucking horses and the next day I'll, I'll, I'll get on jumping horses. And I say, you don't know the feeling of taking a horse over a four or five foot jump, you know, until you do it. And and until you, you know, and it really, like for me, that's what finally clicked with my brawn uh-huh. craft. When I started learning how to jump horses and how to use my body and actually sit up and ride a horse, get off my ass and ride a horse.
0: Yeah. I, when I, when I first got the interest in dressage, you know, I'd been in the horse world 20 years. I thought I had a good seat. I had rode out some of the rankest, dumbest things people have brought to me. Hot, nasty, fire-breathing dragons of barrel horses that wanted to walk on their hind feet in the alley. And then all of a sudden you get on this really light, refined massage horse. And you're in this little tiny English saddle.
2: Mm-hmm. With, with no swells, with nothing.
0: With no swells, no nothing, your, your, your knees are at a completely different angle than what you're used to. And you're, you're, you're having to maintain leg on a horse, which is something that, you know, usually, you know, in the Western world, if you've got a horse that you've got to maintain leg on, that's a lazy horse. In the English world, if you've got a horse that you've got to maintain leg on, that's just close contact.
2: Well, you know, so one of the things I tell people is is get out of the arena and ride the horse. Get out of the arena and get on trails, get get in the pasture, get somewhere where you're out of your comfort zone. But the, the flip side of the coin is get out of the pasture, get out of the pen, and take your horse in the arena and refine
0: That's
3: and right.
2: You, you, can do a lot, you can do a lot more refining in the you, arena than you can outside. You're
0: going to learn a whole lot about your horse and yourself. Exactly. M- and more that, about yourself.
2: You, you, exactly. And your your downfalls and how you've cheated horses. And and so it's you get in the arena to refine, and you get out of the arena to use those things that you those yeah. those lessons that you have taught in the arena to be be a good horseman and be a good stockman.
0: That's right. You know, when we were younger, we you know we we focus on the positive, and that's what keeps us going. As we get older, we look at the things that we don't do so good, the the negative things, and we build off of those. Like it's, it is, is a thing that happens to all of us. And when I started this journey with dressage, now granted that I I want to take my novice dressage test in Western dressage. It is still dressage. It, it doesn't matter if it's English or Western. Uh, dressage is dressage. It, it's the same test. It just has different names for the movements. Um, but, you know, and, and I'm looking at myself as a horseman. And for years, I considered myself a horseman, you know, and and when I started this journey, the the first thing I learned really, really quick was, you know, I'm a rider, not as much of a horseman as I thought, you know, when you start, when you start really refining a horse and, and I'm telling you folks out there that are listening, dressage as boring as it is to watch. Will make or break a competent rider at the lowest levels.
2: At the absolute. So my ex, the first time she she took my stirrups from me, I, oh. know, I've, rid, I've ridden bareback. Just get on horse. Like I've always done. Just get on horse. Like whenever I'd go to get horses and bring them in the arena for you know anything, like, like, I'd always hop on a bareback in the halter and ride them up and stuff like that. Or I just go out ride bareback. Or something. The first time I took a lesson from her. And she put my syrups away from me. I didn't know what to do. five minutes in, I am dying. I am hurting. I am in every bit of pain just from muscles that I've never used. And, you know, four or five lessons into it, you actually learn what contact is and you learn how to use your body how you're supposed to sit in your proper position. I always tell people if you're slouched in a battle, you're you're not ever gonna have a good time. and, and you're gonna have a horrible ride horseback riding was not meant to be a slouch you have to be no. erect you have to you have to sit up straight you have to have your knees and your legs in the right position like there's a proper body position to ride your horse and it's not only for you but it's also for communication and contact with your horse that's right because if you're not carrying yourself properly then all your horses do is carrying the dead weight of a saddle with you. and and you're not riding you're just sitting there poking along on a trail I and and your
0: like horse the, knows that, by the way. Your, oh, your yeah, horse, your horse knows thing.
2: that. That was one of the biggest gripes I had when I was when I did equestrian. Was people that would come out and rode horses, and I get it. That's they, what they pay for. Half these horses, that's all they want is it's pretty much a retirement for them. But you know, as as someone that was trained and 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 taught, you know, proper riding and. trying to communicate with these people, hey, this is not how you ride a horse, it's just poking along on a trail, you know, and, and, I don't know, that was, like I said, that was the hardest part about food wrangling was, was seeing people come out and just poke along on a horse, and, you know, for me, it's, it's not just riding, it's my life, it's my, it's how I make money, it's how I live my life, and so, uh, that, that burned me out within a month of doing it. You know, if I hadn't have told my the crew that I worked with and my bosses that I would stay out for the whole season, I'd have left just because of that stuff. But I, I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to put up with that stuff and, and to be able to put up with people. I like cowboy and I like range riding because I'm out there by myself. Yeah. I, I like being by myself on my horses and is it dangerous? Yeah. Do I have weather and, and, and predators, and you know, uh, and terrain to deal with? All day long,
0: every you, day. And the thing about it is, you got to deal with both kinds of cougars. <laughs> not where I live. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, but you, you bring up a good point, you know, like, and this is not a brag, but I have to tell you this to, to tell you something else. You know, I've shown AQHA horsemanship, I have buckles for AQHA horsemanship. I'm an NBHA world qualifier. Couple times over. I have kids, multiple kids that I have sent to multiple world qualifiers, uh, horses that I have trained that were NBHA world qualifiers. And then when I get in the arena with Flo Spargoner and her big off the track thoroughbred, and I have to post that trot and maintain contact, 20 years of everything that I thought of setting that trot and being one with the horse with a trot is out the window.
2: Out the, win- like, out I the window I, I don't sit a trot ever. Like I can I can post a trot all day long. If, if I'm on a horse I'm posting. I, I hate sitting trot. Just do this all day long. Well, I'm you know, and I was I'm used to to sit the trot and stuff, but I would rather just post.
0: Well seeing I was used to really good horses that had really good trots that were easily sittable. You know, that's that's the that's the western thing, you know. Horses that have trots you can set. Yep. And then, you know, I get on these, you know, I get on this 18-to-off-the-track thoroughbred that needs constant pleasure, just pleasure, constant pressure to stay at a trot. <laughs> y'all <laughs> hush. Uh, yeah, constant, how do you do that? I mean, yeah, it needs, needs all the stimulation. <laughs> uh, needs constant pressure to stay at the trot. Not only that, but I'm trying to keep constant leg pressure post- Also keep outside leg, inside rein. Here I am, you know, thinking I'm a horseman, and I'm finding this task hard. And I'm looking at Flo, who is not an English, not a Western rider, but has been in English sport horses her entire life. And I go, you know, there's a lot to be learned here for a lot of folks that think they're horsemen. Uh, <laughs> well, you know the, the thing about horsemanship is horsemanship at its roots is universal. You know, good balance, soft hands. The, these are all things that are are you know having a connection with that horse. These are all things that are universal when it comes to horsemanship. Where the rubber meets the road though, and I have to say at times the English do do it better. And that is the quality of their riding. And it doesn't matter on what horse they're on. The I, I result is, is is going to be the same. Because, now, I know some guys that are really good damn cowboys. I know some guys that are damn good cowboys. But I put them on a really, really good horse, a really good soft horse. They ride like
1: shit. Yeah. Well, and, like, for me, you know, the, the, the Marsh Tacky breed... As a whole, they're 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 great horses, and you know, it, it, depending on where you research and what you research, you know, they are considered a gated breed. Only a percentage of those horses are gated. but they, have, the none best, of mine. they
0: have They have the best kind of gait though, and that's that foxtrot type gait. Damn yeah. old Missouri foxtrotter. Yeah,
1: yeah. old cowboy Cadillac. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I grew up horses in the south. Well, and see, and that that's that's my deal. You know, I grew up on on gated from from the time i was old enough to to walk and then ride gated horses was was all i had and uh, you know i'm basically at, at 38 years old i'm almost starting from scratch because you know like i said I, I, the of the horses that i've got one has got a rideable trot the other ones don't and uh so this whole posting nonsense is new to me and it's not easy to learn at my age, having never done it before. <laughs> so I
2: thought it was, I thought it was hard to learn at 27. So I guess <laughs> so.
1: But yeah, I mean, you know, it's
2: gentlemen, I, I need to go, I need to go feed my horse. I, so when I came over here for the school, I brought my, my horse and Sage, of course, over here with me. And, uh, so I need to go actually do some responsible stuff and take care of my horse. And, uh, and all that good
1: stuff, so I'm gonna have to back on out of here. Um I, I was waiting on Ryan to go, yeah. Sorry, I had to film a video for
0: an eight year old <laughs> saying that I appreciated them listening to the show. <laughs> it's okay though. He's he's, if he's this was live. It's my 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 friend Andrew, his son, is apparently my number one fan. You know what? If he wants to be my number one fan, he can be my number one fan. Then let him be. Mm-hmm. Let him be. So, Andrew, I know you're gonna listen to this episode. Uh tell your little boy that uh thank you so very much from me, Jade, and CJ trailer, that uh he is awesome and thank you so much for listening to us. So you go let that puppy out.
2: Well, uh, yeah, and feed the feet there and all that good stuff. Well Jay Ryan, Jade, it's been great talking to y'all. I'm I'm thankful that y'all uh brought me on the Brought me on the podcast, and uh, and you know I've been a listener of, of Behind the Horses Eyes for a long time, and uh, I appreciate the plugs y'all have given me in the past, and uh, and you know it's, it's been good to talk music and horses and just life. And uh, you know if I if I could say anything as, as I'm leaving, the thing you know people ask me all the time, how do you do what you do? How do you how do you go and just go cowboying? And my biggest thing is never stop learning. Never stop learning how to be a better horseman or a better stockman. Never stop learning how to be a, a, a better fence builder or, or never. Every time someone offers you an opportunity to learn, whether it's driving a truck or writing songs or or you know irrigation or anything like that, learn it because it's just going to help you in the future to to be a better horseman, a better stockman, and a better person all around. And uh, I, I'm thankful to. to have the limelight that I have to be able to show what I do and and people like like y'all that you know that live the same kind of life that I do and, and want to make their own lives either horseback or on the stage or whatever we do in life. So thank y'all very much for letting me come on the show today.
0: Uh, no problem. But listen, anytime you want to come on, you know you can just shoot me a message. I know we've been kind of touch and go. It's been weird the last couple of weeks and the last episode, man, it sure didn't go the way we wanted it to go. <laughs> Uh, there I'm were some sure great moments. As, as a blue for real. Uh, Listen, you know, one of these days down the road, that that is recorded, that is saved, and it's on my hard drive. I don't know if I want to know that. Uh, but it is uh, one of these days when it is safe to do so, that might be one of those Patreon-only episodes. And uh, Please. Yeah, it, I'm telling you guys. Uh, I'm telling you. um For those of us that was there for that, that was epic. (laughs) You think this was good? This ain't shit. We went everywhere. We went everywhere with everything and everyone, apparently.
1: And enjoyed every second of it.
0: Every second. First of all, I think we all started the show hammered.
1: I've been driving.
0: Normal idea, by the way. That's right, so... (laughs) But on behalf of CJ Trailer, myself, Mr. J. Ryan Chastain, and Jade Rains, a.k.a. Marty Rabers Bass Player, uh, thank you all so much for listening in. Uh, remember, check out the merch store. We got all the Horse Daddy merch, plus Behind the Horse's Eyes merch out there. Make sure you check out the Feral Appalachia t shirts. Help Farrell Aaron out there at all the good work she does. Her to Zebras, thank you all so very much. Remember, what you call scars, Herd of zebras call stripes, show your stripes. That's herd dash of dash Hey Check and my out.
2: shameless plug is let me you know, if you if you really like good Western music, look up my music, uh, my poetry, CJ trailer. You can find me on uh, on TikTok and, and Instagram, uh and YouTube, all my recorded stuff and I'd I'd love to be able to grace your day with my Oh yeah, oh.
0: I've I, I was able to find CJ today on Spotify and on YouTube Music. It's Session One, uh, CJ trailer. It is good stuff. I got We got to get him to write the theme song for Behind the Horse's Eyes. I don't know me. I don't know if me and Jade write it. We we get you to sing it though. All right, sounds good. We'll, we'll
2: make Deal. That happen. Well, boys, cheers.
0: cheers. Cheers. All right, buddy.